Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to our usual Wednesday night rendezvous. I'm John Hindhoff, this is Midweek Motorsport. We're on at Series 15, episode number 47 and it's 1-0 just as we came uh, on the air just to prove that we're live. And we have got some NFL tonight, uh, the much postponed and reorganised Raven Steelers game. So we'll be keeping you up to date with the scores on that tonight. Meantime, up in London is our executive producer, Tim Greer. Hello, Tim. How are you? Hello, John. I'm fine, yeah. Good, good. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Uh, we've got some news. Uh, lots of news this week. It's been a very, it's been a very newsy week. Um, we'll also be doing our nominations uh, for the Man of the Year show, which is just two weeks away. So... Uh, nominations night tonight. Voting opens uh, a week today, um, and uh, the results the week after that. Uh, what else did I have to tell you? Oh yes, we'll be joined for that by Nick Damon, by Shay Adam, and by Johnny Palmer. And Johnny Palmer uh, will be back after we finish tonight uh, because he's joined by Bruce Jones at uh, 10 p.m for our review of the Michelin Le Mans Cup 2020. Ah yes, our review series continues uh, and it's the first of the ACO events, Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, at 10 o'clock tonight and uh, next week uh, I think it's going to be MotoGP, is that right Tim? Uh, we might have to move MotoGP to this Friday because we've got a slot this Friday which was going to have an IMSA show in it but I don't think we can do an IMSA show on Friday so we might move MotoGP to Friday and do an IMSA one next week. Okay. Or possibly we'll so do ELMS next week. We've So many review so shows, just uh, watch the schedule and something will turn up. Suffice to say that every Wednesday from now till Christmas and we'll most Fridays show. as well. We'll have one after Midweek Motorsport and from this week uh, on probably most Fridays as well just to get you in the mood for a Motorsport-less weekend as uh, Motorsport is uh, running out. Uh, add spec your team and please. Uh, hello to all of those of you who have already tweeted in. Daniel Summersgill is listening to the podcast in the morning. He says, I think this show might need to be extended for three hours with all the comings, goings, Etc. No um, time for can't. that. No time. No time for that. Bruce will Andrew be angry Dolan. if he's kept waiting. Yes, very. Or he gets grumpy. He does. Andrew, Go- Andrew Dolan. Do you know what he's been uh, doing all day today? Who? Bruce. What's he been doing all day today? Planting bulbs. Of course he has. He's got 2,000 the pl- of them to plant. He hasn't got very far. 
I, I, frankly, all I want to do is make sure that they're all plugged in and working before you turn the Christmas lights on. That's what I want to do with bulbs at this time of year. Um, Andrew Dolan is waiting for the Raven Steelers game to kick off. Tia Aliot Lafitte, Aliot Lafitte, is looking forward to listening on the podcast. Quite a busy schedule given the time of year. You're not wrong there. Hello to Jet uh, on a Splunk Enterprise security course this evening via the interweb until the end of the show. But I'll be listening tomorrow, he says. Hello, Jet. Hello, the family. Hope you uh, are all well. Hello to Brody, who's under that 944 again. Thankful everybody's still with us this Wednesday. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, you are absolutely right there. Kevin Payne's tweeted in at Spectatainment to say he's listening live again tonight. I'm expecting RC Racing to have all two hours to themselves this evening. A really packed show uh, tonight. You're not wrong there. Uh, as uh, we said at the top of the show. Right turn lover, celebrating a birthday with mum tonight. Uh, hope all going well, RTL. A happy birthday and very best wishes to your mum. Uh, and uh, also to Rob McHugh, looking forward to the podcast whilst replacing ARB bushes on the Target Rally Clio 172. Oof, what a piece of kit that is. Uh, hello to Mercurius who's tuned in tonight, Oliver Giles, uh, still trying to digest a week filled with motorsport news, uh, Wicker Bill listening tonight for some sports car news, I suspect there'll be plenty of it, um, some with larger grills than others uh, <laughs> this evening if you know what I'm talking about, David Tubro's checking in, looking forward to this show immensely, so much to talk about, Simon Hoff. AFAs, but looking forward to the podcast later uh, in the week. Chris Suku, no AFAs tonight, grabbing a quick snap before as he's uh, beavering away working in the study. Stephen Gardner, AFA this afternoon, looking forward to the podcast tomorrow and hearing the thoughts on F1's weekend past and coming. Uh, Ian McCarthy, AFAs as well, looking forward to a packed bowl of porridge with the usual features tomorrow morning. <laughs> Or a standard ball of porridge and a patch up. Carol Brink tuned in. Uh, both Carol and Kevin tuned in uh, at home. Very good. Uh, overlooking Monterey Bay. Alex Orkin. Supper will be fish. Well, it was supposed to be fish, but ended up being venison sausage. Glass or two of Chablis. Oh, very nice. Jeff Doherty listening in live tonight. And to prove it, I'll have the Chelsea game on another device with the sound turned down. Other clubs are available for some reason, he says. Michael Denny. No withdrawing, moving on or pulling out over here. I'm very much sticking with Midweek Motorsport tonight. Very good. Paul Sharp, listening live, albeit slightly distracted by the second half of Carlisle versus Salford uh, for the first bit. And 2,000 fans at Carlisle tonight. Come on, the Blues. Uh, Dave Alcock, uh, thinking Tim may need extra sugar. Tim and Nick may need extra sugar tonight. No FAs for Guff Lamont tonight in the Manshed Tinker Room with the Christmas LED lights. Serafina tuned in live. Jesse, high noon on the West Coast. Uh, cranking it up at the office. Mark Atkins, looking forward to a great motorsport tonight. Jeff Bell, Duncan Vincent, hello Dunk. Matthew Hindman, as well as Money, Elliot Linzermood, uh, and Uncle Tom Cobley and all. Oh, and Sarah Rigby as well. And Owen, listening in live from Denver. Paul Dunk is out on a run at the moment where it's just started. You've found a whole new batch, haven't you? Yeah, 
No, I just it's they're coming in quicker than I can actually read them. Uh, let's uh, go back to those later. Add spec entertainment. Play the jingle. There's only one top story tonight. I'm not going to play the jingle. Are you not? No. Okay. Because uh, uh, we need to talk about us. Oh. Because um, you know how we're quite an influential uh, show. Uh, apparently. Um, we like to think we are. In our own minds, we are, Tim. In our own minds. Last week, we had a little chat about aggregate, didn't we? Yes. Uh, in relation to Bahrain. And we yes. kind of started something. Because a couple and of days... And Marina as well. Don't forget. A uh, couple of days later, on the Formula 2 coverage, uh, Alex Brundle uh, said this. Tarmac will be used to it. Straight from Shropshire, the tarmac. <laughs> Shropshire Stone. Uh, so, Alex Brundle... Well, we know Alex listens every week. He does. He admitted it on Twitter when I quizzed him. Uh, but I don't think that Ted Kravitz... Uh, or I didn't think Ted Kravitz listened to us. And, uh, well, if you're a regular user of the M6 toll road and this track surface looks familiar, well, don't be surprised, because it's made of the same aggregate. But maybe he does. Yeah. Where else would you have picked Every- up that uh, fact Everybody, from? everybody knows. And they could say exactly the same at Yas Marina. Next weekend as well, because it's yes. the same surface. They weren't the only two who mentioned it. No, Can't go weren't. talking about the aggregates uh, here in Bahrain without giving it its, its name. It's the Grey Whacker. It's got an E at the end, so I think the Grey Whacker uh, aggregate, and it comes from uh, just near Shrewsbury in Shropshire. That was uh, David Croft, for those of you who don't get the, uh, the Sky coverage. I think everyone gets that these days, don't they? <laughs> well, not if it's not in your language. Ah, yes, true. Uh, Right, now I'm going to play a jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Is it safe to say then, Tim, with Champions League football on tonight, although not in the knockout stages at the moment, that last week we won on aggregate, do you think? I think we did, yeah. Yeah, Okay. (laughs) Still 1-0, by the way. We were certainly uh, ahead of everyone else on aggregate. We, we certainly were. Uh, top story tonight. Dominoes, our, our, shuffle, our what top is it? Story, our top four stories mm-hmm. have a common connection. Right. And that common connection is Audi. Mm. Um, and you'll see why when we go through them. But the first one... Uh, is that Dieter Gass is uh, stepping down as head of motorsport at Audi and will be replaced by Julius Seibach. Yes. Uh, and this uh, is an interesting piece. It's not unusual for Audi or indeed the VAG, Volkswagen AG, uh, concern to move their senior executives around. Yeah, so we need to um, point out that uh, Dieter isn't leaving Audi. He's just moving to a different department. Correct, and and we we sort of knew that it was it was being talked about. It's been being talked about for a little while, and it's it's now been concerned that Julian's taking over, and that it's going to happen at the end of this year, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. Which is only weeks away. Yes, indeed. Yes, very good. So that's our top story. Uh, our second yes. story. Now, normally that would not be our top story, would it? But we had to do it first because the second story follows on from it. Yes. Uh, because one of the big things that Dieter Gas did as head of motorsport as Audi is he took them into Formula E. And now that he's not there, Audi is to leave Formula E. 
Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, and uh, this is a... Pardon the pun. I, I was just going to say it was a complete about turn. It's a vault fast, isn't it? You see what I did there? Yeah. Um, in terms... It's a 180, really is, uh, for Audi. Uh, they have been working very hard. Uh, according to people very close to the Formula E team, um, it, it wasn't expected. And there's been a bit of head-scratching uh, on this. And uh, you can look at this in many different ways. And again, on this programme, Tim, you'll remember uh, what seems like a million years ago, which was probably only earlier this season, we had Sam Smith on talking about the rising costs, what happens when uh, manufacturers get involved, when driver salaries go up, when everything goes up. We've also had people talking uh, about the difficulty there is to activate this as a sponsor, um, and that's come from some quite major sponsors of the championship as a whole because of the uh, very, very high costs that Formula E demand to have people at hospitality, uh, even trackside signage and such such like. Uh, we don't know is the short answer to why Audi have pulled out. Let's get but Nick we Damon. We can speculate. Uh, we'll bring yeah, in Nick I'm Damon as well. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> <coughs> this evening, uh, BMW have announced they're going to follow suit at the end of this season. And Just before the show started, they were I, kind enough to tell everybody, yes. I, th I think there are... A lot of, uh, uh, the, or there is a lot of commonality between their reasons, and well, those it goes down to the championship itself. Right. Well. Right. Okay. Let's address that first of all. How successful or not have Audi been, Nick Dearman? Um Pretty successful. They've always been there or thereabouts. They're, I think Lucas Degrassi's won the championship, and they've been up and about that. They managed to get some free publicity when uh, Dame App was an idiot last year. Um, and uh, had the, in, in the virtual series, um, they've always managed to get the PR. I've had Alan, Alan McNish running the team, and he's obviously very uh, TV friendly. I think the basic fact is, I think people are finally seeing the Emperor's clothes in Formula E. Oh, the lack and thereof, you mean? Lack of, and it's not that it's bad racing. It's not that it's, it's whatever it racing. is. The fact is, no one's watching. That's the problem. <sighs> no one's watching. Right, given. The, given the amount of money they're spending. Also, how can you activate a stock car, a spec chassis, a spec engine? Yes, you're allowed to do clever things with the software and perhaps put a personal inverter in. Where's the, where is the, where is the, then, you then know, where no is the, you they've could moved away from that now because they've all got their own power units now and they've only yeah. all building their own chassis. Now, so that's what's caused the cost to go up. No, they're, not, they're, not build, they're not building their own chassis, Tim. The chassis are absolutely standard. They're all standard. still the Spark chassis, but they are, they are allowed to... They're allowed to do some stuff with the inverse. They're allowed to choose between various motors, but none, of that, is, is, none of that is, is marketable. And when have you ever seen an advert? You know, I can't remember seeing an advert for, which has got a Formula E tie-in. Um, you know, it's, it, it's great. It, it's all, it looked fantastic in the, in the boardroom. And, but... If, if no one's actually watching, if I know one, I mean outside the motorsport arty, who they, obviously they never wanted to, to attract us, but that's always attracted. No one's talking about it. It's, it's not. It, well, it, that... it, talks about its, it talks about its fantastic um, social media presence. Well, not wishing to upset them, but, you know, 
the numbers they were talking about one year actually were less than than I had RC racing. But let's not obviously not this year, not the last couple of years. But they started talking about it. The numbers were nothing. Uh, and let's 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 take a few of those things um, uh, before we move on. Uh, and bear in mind, I'm you know it's my job to play devil's advocate as much as it is to agree. Um, spec series don't necessarily mean that you can't still push the brand look at what happens in nascar which is effectively a spec series and you could argue that formula one because of how tight the no. the technical no. regulations are is a spec series in all but name they might as well all have the same engines because there's nothing so much you can do and that'll get closer and closer the longer it goes on and in fact in moto gp very similar uh, as well however put that to one side nobody's watching 411 million people um, we're watching for the for the last series that we've got figures for, and how, Tim, does that, particularly for BMW and Audi, how does that stack up against, let's say, a DTM, which they're also getting out of? That's a good question because uh, you asked me to research this earlier, and I have all the figures on my phone, which I've run out of battery on now. Uh, ironically, <laughs> as we're talking about electric, but classes, electric racing, but that's it, funny. It uh, it gets more viewers. Um, according to the figures that they've published, and DTM. But it's behind the World Rally Championship, and it's curiously behind the WTCR, although I'm sure the WTCR figures aren't what they claim they are. I mean, obviously, none of these figures are what they claim they are, but the no, but WTCR figures are ridiculously not what they claim they are. Right. I, I but, reckon but, WTCR but you can only go by what has, are published, can't you? Exactly. WTCR, I suspect, one week may have featured on Mobile One The Grid and they're then adding an entire season of Mobile One The Grid viewers onto their figures. Yeah, yes, probably. Um, um, because no, no way of half a billion people watch WTCR in a season. Uh, well, whether they have or they haven't, that's it's not 411 million unique viewers, though, is it? Even there, no, 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 no. But, but that's not the point. We can't let's not pick apart the numbers. That's the numbers that they publish. The same as you know, Formula One used to publish more people watching it than actually on the planet, uh, when mm. Bernie was in, in charge. But you can only judge by, by what's out there. Um, the costs have gone up. Uh, it, it would seem that for whatever reason, and 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 BMW, neither BMW nor Audi have said anything other than they effectively are realigning their priorities. Well, BMW uh, have said they've come to the end of what they can do in Formula E. Um, that, that, was, that was quite interesting, yes. Obviously, any marketing uh, campaign, you have a decreasing um, impact on every subsequent year you do that's why no one does anything forever that's why you saw um see companies uh, invest in le mans cars and then withdraw from le mans and then go back five years later and build another le mans car and then withdraw from le mans because doing it that way you've got a much better uh, impact than you have if you just stay in there all the time and people get bored with you toyota um what? No, you can't blame Toyota. No. You can't you blame can't Toyota. Blame they Toyota can only race the people who come and, and, and race with them. And and the fact that two VAG brands were string here, but the fact that two VAG brands, one was forced out and then the other, Audi was forced out by the board of the, the parent company, 
they didn't want to leave and they had a petrol engine for the next car for the next year there was a PR issue with them running a diesel car at that time you might remember and then with no one to challenge their Le Mans victories Porsche didn't have any need to be in sports car racing so uh, you know Toyota has have stepped up to the plate and they are still there and that's how you build a dynasty in any part of the sport in any sport at all look at how long Audi were in sports car racing in the first place I think it's interesting that two of the major manufacturers who are in Formula E have decided to leave both Porsche and Audi have got major um, synthetic climate neutral fuel programs going on in fact Porsche just released a press release today they're working with Siemens Energy in Chile um, that uh, is about uh, that type of new fuel uh, I think it's interesting that they both come to the same conclusion at the same time is there an element of the pandemic involved well it'd be hard to say there wasn't although it hasn't been mentioned it hasn't been specifically mentioned. I, I don't think it's made much of a difference remember that the generation three cars are coming in in 2022 um so you've got a whole new set of cars. well how do you just how do you just launched their new car the F A zero seven. They've just launched it. It was launched. Yeah, but it's this revision. There's nothing new I, about I, it. Yeah, I, I know that. It, it, that's an evolution. That. The, the Gen three is an entirely new start again from a blank piece of paper, and only so far, only Mahindra have agreed um, to take part uh, with Gen three. Although it is still early days, and I think the extra development costs of going to Gen three when you've already been doing this for seven seasons. Um, and you can't make money by selling customer cars. There's no, no. no second-hand market for Formula E. Also, what there seems to be a lack of, Nick, is real-world uh, sponsorship on the cars. Now, yeah, I mean... now you, could, you could argue in many forms of motorsport that is the case, and, and that big manufacturers like Audi, like BMW, uh, they subsidise it from the marketing budget. Toyota, we know do their uh, endurance racing budget out of R&D, road car R&D, which is very different and, and I think still unique uh, in in motorsport. I, I, I don't want to seem down on Formula E, but we've always said Formula E is difficult because of the costs of actually setting up the races, because they are temporary tracks. Um, and that is what they've always wanted to stay at, and, and that is part of their unique selling point that is that is one of the things that makes it a, a point of difference but are we getting to the stage now where the the roi the return on investment then from these manufacturers helped by the fact that they've all been closed down for three months and not selling cars at all and i also wonder if there's an issue with the profit margins on electric cars which tends to be a lot slimmer than premium ice cars they just simply don't have the money to do this anymore. No, I think I think you no. Know, the, the key reason for for giving up now is is the fact that they would have to reinvest in the in the next generation of car. I think there is marketing fatigue. I think they're probably also, you know, we we talk. Everyone just keeps saying based on Tim's concept that everyone goes away eventually, that Mercedes are going to leave F1. But then I keep telling you, and it gets no, backed not. up by the Mercedes board, they're making a billion dollars in ab in free advertising. 
that which you know, which you offset against that. The fact is, no one's making much money out of free advertising in Formula E. And can I just say right now, I'm not down on Formula E. I really enjoy watching Formula E, but sometimes you have to just you know say the fact. The fact is, until people start watching it, it is a net minus on your marketing budget. Whereas yeah. you could often say F1 is a net positive if you actually work out how much right. that TV time would cost you. Let's take a couple of tweets on this and then we'll move on. Dave Alcock says, agree with Nick. The perception for me is that Formula E isn't right reaching target customers. Given the budgets involved, can't help think that targeting TCRE uh, coming and LMDH, more on that in a moment, TCRE might allow running an EV car, which looks like a road car. Michael Denny, Formula E management, I think, was more concerned about not imploding the championship with cost rises by specking the series and, and using components, uh, similar components. But the tech has fallen behind and is now less road relevant than it ever has been, whilst road tech is charging, like the pun there, ahead. Just because to prove you can't win, really. The other side of this story, Tim, is... Interesting, because whilst Volkswagen as a brand, part VAG, have announced that they are pulling out of motorsport completely, we don't know what BMW is going to do, and we'll talk about BMW and IMSA possibly a bit later on, but nothing other at the moment than the 24 hours, the Rolex 24 hours for BMW in IMSA next year so far, that's not the case for Audi. Uh, no, because Audi have announced... Uh two programs where they're going to split um, the money that they were spending on Formula E. Uh, we'll come on to the second one in a little bit, but first let's talk about an LMDH car. Massive news. Absolutely massive news, Nick. Um, yeah. LMDH and not hypercar. So yeah. this is going to be an LMP2 chassis built by one of just four manufacturers with some degree of spec components. As we know now, this is what we've been calling DPI 2.0. This is very much the IMSA uh, solution to a global prototype, top prototype category, rather than ACO, which was Hypercar, which was there was six or seven different versions of, of Hypercar, of course. Uh, and I, 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 this is very interesting because... What did, what can Audi get out of that that they can't get out of Formula E? Well, you know, the first thing they can do is get an American presence. And let's not forget, that's the way they've got they, They've gone racing since, what, the 2000s, where they have this American team as well. Um, and they can run that car in America. They can then run it again in the World Endurance Championship if they wish to, the same car, and they can run it at Le Mans. So it's a, an obvious decision for them because, that you know, their return investment is easier to amortize, sorry that word again, if they can have an American program as well, using the same the same R and D. Yeah, you've got to build a few more cars, but it's the the cost obviously is the R and D and the actual building them is a small part. You know, and it's compared to the cubic millions they were spending developing their own LMP one car, the amount of spend theoretically is significantly less. Uh, uh, Stuart Hart has tweeted out about your team and says, while tech and brand image is important, it's increasingly important to motorsport programs to pay their way with customer sales. GT3 has shown that to be the way. Could we have something different, something similar with LMDH, ironically getting back to the 956 and 962 Group C days? I think that's exactly right, Stuart. We've talked about that with uh, with Andrew Cotton of uh, uh, of Racecar engineering jack says didn't audi already have alternative fuel out of algae back in uh, 2015 oh yes they did they did indeed um question then 
uh, about that, or, or at least on the back of what Nick has said, um, LMDH will be able to go to Le Mans, will be able to do WEC, and at the moment will be able, because it's an IMSA concept effectively, to be able to race at Daytona. And indeed, Tim, I'm pretty certain that that was mentioned by by Audi. In fact, the first race they mentioned running for overall honours was the Rolex Daytona 24, and then Le Mans 24 was second. So they're clearly thinking globally. They're clearly thinking about multiple series. Yes, although uh, I suspect they're listed that way because that's a chronology of when they're going to appear rather than anything else. Daytona uh, and what, being what first else in also the year. Yes, what also has happened um, is that customer racing has been subsumed into motorsport as well, hasn't it? So that's Chris Reinke, um has effectively got a new boss. And uh, we'll, we, we'll try and get a word with Chris in the next couple of weeks and see. I'm sure they're all digesting what's going on at the moment. Matthew Hindman says, uh, have Audi committed to LMDH first so they can potentially stop Porsche joining? If VW Group don't want brands racing against each other, I don't think that this will be the last VAG brand to come back into sports car racing. I think Porsche, uh, because of the reasons I said before, remember some times ago, Nick, and I am going to gloat slightly on this, <laughs> I, I, I did say that Audi would commit and would be back in sports car prototype racing before Peugeot, even though Peugeot's made It'll a lot be a of close race. Well, close race now. if Peugeot don't race at Daytona, they will be. So, um, you know, come on, Audi. Come on, prove me right. Um, the, the problem for Porsche is if they don't have an LMDH car or they don't have a hypercar or an LMDH car that can race at Le Mans, then how are you going to start catching up again on those Le Mans overall victories? And they don't want that. I think this is more likely to bring Porsche in than less likely. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you kind of think that it does leave the way very much open for Porsche to do a hypercar. You know, that's that's the thing. They're not competing. It's a different what? element. Well, they're not exactly short of pretty impressive pieces of kit, are they? Mm. Why yeah. do they start with a Taycan as a base and then add an engine to it? Well, yes. Yeah, okay. I like that. Yeah. Just reverse it the other way around. But you know that the Audi will be called a Neutron. Well, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it'd be really interesting how the balance performance works, wouldn't it? Because, yeah, it, obviously the Audi's only going to have a 40-horsepower um, uh, hybrid system. Um, so, uh, so it's going to be a really interesting mixture of, of, of how the power's being made and put down. And you do feel the so ACO well. will probably favour in their, obviously, balance in their performance, they'll probably favour the hypercars, you would think, wouldn't they? Which at the moment are Glickenhaus and Toyota. Which don't exist, I realise that, but let's see. But uh, I, know, I, know, uh, yeah, I, think it's, I think it's really Toyota good news. Toyota exists, really, they've really been good. testing it. No, it's great. I think it's really good news. And I mean, Glick, I, I, Glickenhaus tweeted a picture today of their no, no, engine. Glickenhaus isn't even a hybrid, isn't even a hybrid is it? Uh, no, that's right. So um, That's a traditional supercar, hypercar, if you will. So anyway, yeah. well, Which of the VAG brands, Nick, could you see coming in? So Porsche, yes. Yep. We, yep. We, we've got um, exotic brands uh, based in Italy who are repositioning themselves as, as e-brands. Yeah, you talk about Lamborghini, they're likely to be sold. That, that's the rumour that Lamborghini and Ducati are going to be sold as a, as a unit. In the, like the Italian arm is one of the things that is a, a thought may well happen in the marketplace because you've got Bentley who apparently have done something a little more in the past. I'm not quite sure what it was. Um, Stop that. Uh, Bentley <laughs> repositioning themselves as the 
Um, and Adrian Holmark's just got talking about people moving around. Adrian Holmark's just gone back there. Uh, and in a recent interview that I read for him in Auto Express here in the UK, he is talking about Bentley's electric future. And th they're talking about full electric. Um, now, I can't see them going into Formula E, but they've always only wanted to race it. And we've heard from various people down through the years at Bentley. Uh, and in fact, we'll have somebody from Bentley on the program next week. Um, uh, because they've got some announcements later on this week uh, and we'll have some uh, pick up off the back of that and maybe we ask this question and in fact I'm sure we will um, about that but but they have said they want to race for overall victories and if they could win overall at Le Mans you've got to think that would be interesting yep. to them. and I think that, you know and and someone somebody has got to take the plunge somebody has got to take the plunge with the hydrogen, pro hydrogen project because let's be honest when they rebuild the pits they've told us there's going to be hydrogen pumps in, uh, at Le Mans so someone needs to do it uh right uh your thoughts on all of that on at specutainment please very busy on twitter and on facebook uh tonight as well i suspect him we'll be talking about that again uh, in the not too distant future however there is another big story tonight before we go back to sports car news yes our fourth audi story is that they're uh because obviously audi want to sell cars that's why they do motorsport. They want to sell cars. And yep. uh, what's the biggest sector for car sales, Nick? Sports utility vehicles. Yes. So where can you race a sports utility vehicle? Well, um, you can Dakar, race them in obviously. two or three places. Dakar, the Rally Raid Championship, and, of course, Extreme E now. Yes. They've, they've chosen Dakar. They're going to build an electric Dakar entry for 2022. I think this is massive. I, I actually worry, think... Those are really long stages. How are they going to charge? I think that is massive. I think that is absolutely massive. And bear in mind that Dakar at the moment runs mostly in places that have um, no problem about oil uh, and have the smallest take-up of electric vehicles in the world um, is where the Dakar has been running in the last few years and if you if, if Audi bypassing Extreme E and going straight to Dakar with a full electric that is a huge commitment Nick because what what is the biggest problem that everybody often misguidedly talks about not always but often misguidedly talks about with EVs is range anxiety if mm. you can get an Audi to do Dakar stages as an electric vehicle that is a that is a huge. That's exactly what motorsports for, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's a going to be a heavy car, but obviously that's not such a problem in uh, nope. in rally raids. But yeah, they're going to need a lot of battery because they're running flat out, um, and the stages are obviously very very long, and they're also energy sapping because they're on sand and loose surfaces. So yeah, it's, it's a but, lot yeah, of sun uh, though, lot of solar power. Good point there. Yep, yep, and and. I think it's a, it's a really interesting concept. I I applaud them for giving it a go, and, and obviously they'll they will sort it out. But I'm, it's no, it's not an easy challenge. Uh, Jesse says we're still waiting to hear the follow up from the Aston Martin uh, Rapide hydrogen car that ran it at uh, the Nurburgring a few years ago. Absolutely, that was on a that was on a pretty standard um, engine, of course, uh, as well that ran on fuel and on hydrogen at the flick of a. A switch. I drove that car actually before it was hydrogen converted. It was a, a fun thing to do. So four stories in one has taken up the first half an hour or so of 
of the show tonight. We've got a lot to fit in, including some more sports car news to come. Tim, would you like to move on now? I definitely would like to move on now to this. Uh, would like to welcome back uh, Nick Damon, even though he hasn't been anywhere. And uh, oh, but he's putting another hat on. How many hats? Uh, Do you know what this is, Nick? Number four in the UK charge at Peak Dat. This is Van McCoy. And doing the shuffle. Not the hustle, which was a number three hit. No, that, 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 That's right, yeah. You can hear in the, s- in the drums the shuffling, can't you? It's lucky she's using brushes on the snare drum there. <laughs> Lovely bit of jazz flute as well. I, I think I actually used to use that as a backing track on some radio show I did in the past on a radio station up north, but I, 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 I would have lost money. I thought, I didn't think that was called The Hustle, but never mind. Uh, right in the middle of the 1970s. Really? 80s, maybe? No, 70s it must have been. Late 70s, yeah, late disco, wasn't it? Disco. To, to our Absolutely. listeners uh, in the States uh, who won't be familiar with this, because uh, it only got to 106 in the US charts, while The Hustle got to number one. So do the hustle. Van McCoy very much a one-hit wonder in the states, whereas uh, they had three top t- uh, forty hits in the UK. But this is I don't not. Think this is probably wrong. Do the hustle wasn't that wasn't on one of the Saturday Night Fever yes, soundtrack, was it? Yes, it was. Okay, that's why it then. was. That's why it was top of the charts. But this everywhere. is not Van McCoy and the shuffle. This is the Hamilton shuffle, isn't it? That we're going to talk yes. about now. Well, it's not even the Hamilton shuffle. There's so many, so much shuffling going on in Formula One. Um, yeah, well, so, sorry, where, where, Tim? Formula One. Hooray! Yeah! I think you I take it down a little pulled. too far this week, John. No, I know, but I knew he was going to distort tonight. I just knew. He's had too much sugar. Oh, when do I start? What do we start with? Well, well start with Hamilton. Start. That's the story. No, we're not going to start with Hamilton. Well, that's the story. It isn't He's the, the world champion. Uh, we have to start with the fact that... Um, we have to wait till hour two for Nick's team by team review of the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. So yes, all, that's why you have to all start things with Bahrain Hamilton. we talk about in hour two. But yes. uh, as a consequence of Bahrain, which we're not talking about yet, uh, Haas needed a reserve driver uh, for this yes. weekend's Sakir Grand Prix. And they've decided to use their nominated reserve driver. Which is the first, or at least the first of many years. Mm. Um, yes, Pietro Fittipaldi, who I... Uh, who I Actually, I actually watched the uh, the race with John, and I said I didn't think he had a super license. Perhaps he managed to scrape up the points over many years ago, and he has got a super license point. He's also he a lot scraped of kilometers. up the points. He's got forty-one points from perfectly valid championships. He won the Formula Three Point Five Championship, so he gets thirty-five for that. And he finished fifth in Asian Formula Three, so he gets another six for that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's got the points. He's done a lot of testing miles. So he hasn't raced a single seater for th- for two and a half years, um, and they've actually just put, put in the guy who's paid to be the person waiting to be the guy. It has slightly annoyed uh, uh, John uh, Delatraz, who was already in Bahrain and seemed to think that he was the person who should be getting the seat. Obviously, his check wasn't quite so valid. Um, so, if it yeah, I don't what... have a problem with that. He's their nominated driver. That's who should they're be both, there. They're both reserves, though. So it's a kind of either right, or. Okay. Okay. But no, I, mean, I think I think I think it's kind of quite fair. I don't I don't have a problem with it. It's you know, Fittipaldi. You know, no one really knows how quick he is. He's winning stuff, but there wasn't much competition. But he beat who's there, um, and he's quite versatile. So 
I think he's also the first grandchild of a world champion to start, isn't he? We're not having the first grandchild of a world champion. Wow. Um, so obviously being with Mo being his granddad. So yeah, it's great. And, and he thought he was going to be the story. He thought he'd get all the all the press, all the interest in what is of course a couple of dead rubbers coming up. All right, we've got we've got an exciting new, not really oval circuit to talk about, but coming out of you know early Monday morning. That was the story. Pietro Fittipaldi will be our new driver. And then what happened? And what did Pietro have to say <laughs> about it? Ever since I was a young boy, I've wanted to be the grand... Like, said my grandfather's uh, shoes and close. drive for hats. He said, to race in Formula One was my dream since I was a kid. And my debut didn't come in the best circumstances. But nonetheless, I'm grateful for it and will do my best. Good stuff. But however well he performs, he's not going to be in that car next season. No. And he's also not going to get the amount of publicity he thought he was going to get. No, because either. the because actual next story. Season... Oh, all right. <laughs> yes, no, it's true. In the last two days, officially confirmed in the house, as we have known all along, or for the last few weeks, is Nikita Mazepan, Mazepin, sorry, and Mick Schumacher. They will be the hash drivers for next year. So that was actually confirmed over the last couple of days. They've with, been teammates um, before, haven't Nikita... they, Nick? Yeah, in Formula Three? No, lower. Is it last? Oh, was it was it Formula Four? Adac. Lower. BMW. Lower. Karting. Karting. They were Tony Kart teammates. No, because half half of the blue grid drives Tony Kart. The most important thing about Tony Kart. Oh, okay. Rotation says, talk about Pietro Fittipaldi, his most important thing is he once won at Croft in a Formula Renault. He did, he won the championship at Croft. It was the Bark Championship, of course. It wasn't, it was a Formula Renault UK championship, the pro tie one. Anyway, that's still not the big story. And uh, Mick Schumacher will be next year's Haas drivers. Uh, Yes, the big and story is... It was announced that uh, Lewis Hamilton had uh, tested positive for COVID-19. I know, which is which is odd in one way, because he was the guy who kept saying how he was, you know, doing everything not to get tested for COVID-19, not to c- catch COVID-19, which either shows, A, it's a pernicious little thing, or, you know, he was being more friendly with people once he'd actually won the championship, because he was obviously uh, living like a monk prior to that. But it obviously shows that it was important for him to get out there and get all those points and bank them all, uh, so he doesn't need to run in the last couple of races. Um because it's obviously very, very touch and go as to whether he'll actually uh, make it for Abu Dhabi. He's got to isolate for 10 days, which will take him to the Thursday of the Abu Dhabi race. And if he tests negative there, he'll be allowed to race. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, going, it's, it's already started to feel ridiculous conspiracy theories that this it means that he's not coming back uh, and he's not renewing his contract and they're giving his replacement a chance to have a go now uh, so that he can see if he's going to get the job next year. Now, Mercedes have two uh, nominated reserve drivers, don't they, Nick? They do. They have Stoffel van Dorm and Esteban Gutierrez. Though Esteban's not much point because he hasn't got enough super license points. Correct. So it's Stoffel van Dorn then? Yes. Who flew from Valencia to Bahrain for the Formula E test. Formula E test, The Formula E test. Mm. Uh, And he flew there and uh, has landed uh, and was given the great news... Uh, yeah, you're still the reserve, you're not in the car, Stoffel. Um, because? Be- because Mercedes have managed to... Uh, when, when, when Mercedes lose their ch- lose a championship-winning driver, um, the first thing they do is try and nick Williams' best driver. Uh, and they've done it good. again. 
so having accidentally misplaced their second world champion in, in five years, uh, they have once again gone to, back to, to Williams and to, of course, Mercedes um, owned, if, they, if you own a person anymore, which is obviously which you can't, um, it, Mercedes run, managed. Uh, George Russell has been uh, extracted from the Williams, I'm sure, with the helping hand of a few hundred, a few, few pound notes mm-hmm. and will get Sweet his chance to drive. In the big car, in the big race, yes, he's going to be partnering Valtteri Bottas um, at least this week. I mean, we don't know yet. Maybe next week as well. And so we get it's fabulous. We get to see loads of things. How good is how good is Russell? How good is Bottas? Um, how good is the car? Is it just the car? Who knows? Um, and it's all very yeah. It's it's, it's done quite a good job. Really. It's taken what is effectively a very dull, uh, dead rubber race, which Lewis is probably just going to troll around and win quite easily, and made it all very exciting again. You know, I I Stafford think this is all win. all down to Russell's 2CV experience at, so? uh, at Snetterton six years ago. Oh, I, th- I think it's down to the, to, the, to the boost being interviewed by me coming second in the Formula 3 race three years ago did to him. That's what I think it probably is. Someone else um, has claimed this is yeah. down to him racing in intersteps. Well, uh, everybody will be claiming it's down to you know something they've done. But of course, of course... Also, also making... Making Pietro Pietipaldi even less interesting as the TV uh, is it to replace. Don't move on. Uh, Don't move on. Don't move on. We haven't finished with on. Russell yet. Uh, Russell well, was, of course, Mercedes' uh, official reserve driver in 2018. So, yeah, he's done lots of miles for he, them he in the can car. Last year's car. Uh, he has driven this year's car. Yes, he hasn't driven this year's car. He has driven last year's car, and therefore he does know things like the basic layout and the steering wheel and that sort of stuff. So it won't be a big uh, learning curve on that front. There will be a learning curve to actually go around corners at speeds probably about 20 miles an hour faster than the Williams. Yes. Uh, what did he have to say? Ever since I was a young boy, it's been my no, dream to drive didn't. Mercedes. Uh, didn't he's the old done dad. that before, of course. <laughs> I see this as a great chance to learn from the best outfits on the grid right now and to come back to Williams as an improved driver with even more energy and experience to help push them further up the grid. Yes, I, I, think, I see the chance to actually finally score some blooming points. Nobody can replace Lewis, but I'll give my all for the team in his absence from the moment I step in the car. Most importantly, I wish him a speedy recovery and I'm really looking forward to the opportunity and can't wait to get out on track this week. Realistically, he wishes him a quite speedy recovery, but not super speedy. Yeah, not for a couple of races at least. No, but basically, just just all he needs is to just be just be a little bit under the weather for two weeks. That's fine. So who's 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 uh, Williams as as testing thing? Well, we have a, another British driver. It's Jack Aiken, who will forsake his his Formula Two run where he's had a pretty poor year this year, and and because it's an even jump into year. Mm. Yes, good point, and get his Formula One. A chance, which I don't think any of us thought he was going to get, to be honest. Um, so a chance to drive a race or two races for Jack, which is which is great news for him and good for British Motorsport. And did he, and what did he say to him? Was it as a young boy who wanted to drive Williams? I'm absolutely over the moon to have the opportunity to make my debut with Williams this coming weekend. I'm extremely happy for George to have his chance too. I really mean it when I say I felt very much at home here since I joined Williams earlier this year. So to get my chance to help the team try to achieve that elusive points finish is an extremely satisfying occasion to say the least. I'll be doing all I can to prepare in the coming days, but truthfully, I've been ready since Melbourne. Blimey! And this is—I tell you what, though—if if, 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 if he beats Latifi, Latifi's got a problem, isn't he? Because he's going to—they're going to ask for more money off his dad. From He'll his dad. beat Latifi. Although Latifi was Latifi has a mass, two massive advantages here. Um, he's been driving all year. One, he's been driving the car all year, so he knows how shockingly bad it is. And two, mm. he's uh, 
got a whole year of Formula One experience behind him, so uh, he's improved um, as a driver himself. Okay. Is anybody surprised then that Mazepin has not been given the chance to drive a, the Haas in? No, Abu don't Dhabi, then. no, don't. No, uh, they don't know. They don't know because Abu Dhabi. They are still saying that um, Roman wants to come back for that one if it's possible. So that's not been. But they've uh, already said if he doesn't, it's going to be Schumacher that drives, not Mazepin. That's just the, obviously it's down to um, you know finance and everything else. So they just decided that they 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 they, they, they <laughs> Nikita's dad not paying for this year, but and Ferrari are. Ah, okay. Same's reasonable. Uh, same's reasonable. Both of them so, will be at the young driver test, though, won't they? Yes, because so they're old. Right? It's not yet. Let's change. It's not called the young driver test anymore. No. Sorry, the because they've let they've let Fernando in. Are they? Yep. Yeah. As of the news came out this evening, they've let Fernando in. Yeah. Oh, it's well, just good. the test. That, because that's the reason because being, if, the if test. they'd followed the rules that prevented. Uh, Alonso from taking part. They'd also have to ban Pietro Fittipaldi from taking part. Yes, and Jack Aitken. And Jack Aitken, yes. And what they've done is they said because originally the test was, was supposed to be. What was that rule then? If you've started no, no, more, more two than races. two Formula or two or more Formula One races, then uh, you're yes, not yes, yes. Sorry, yes. Okay. Just just to explain the 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 completely non-opaque way this has been changed. Originally, the session was supposed to be for everybody to test the new 18-inch wheels. Okay. Yes. Then, of course, it didn't happen, and they, some teams wanted to test anyway. So the FI went, "Oh, fine, you're there anyway. Make it a young driver test." And then everyone's moaned. Uh, sorry, so, so, so then some teams moaned, "Say, well, you've changed it once. Why just change it to a, just change it to a test?" And they've done that, which lets everybody back in again. Uh, already, McLaren and Racing Point said they weren't going because there was no point, and so now everyone's having a bit of a pointless row and a t-shirt about it. But the net effect is they get a day's PR with with with, uh, with Alonso trundling around. Okay. Uh, let's move on away from Formula One. Don't forget Nick Damon's team by team review of the Bahrain Grand Prix in the second hour of the show. Um, we need to talk about Got lots of tweets, by the way. About Formula lots of one. tweets. Everything. Everybody's everybody's got everybody's got at least one opinion. Um, yes. and, and there's a fantastic Some people have debate. Got several opinions. Yes, there's a fantastic de- uh, debate going on about uh, about electric GT as well. Oh, um, yeah. So that that's really electric interesting. Electric GT. Where did that go? Well, exactly. That's what everybody's saying. Uh, uh, that's what everybody's saying. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 15, Episode 47. We've got the championship lots. that nobody wanted. We've got lots still to come, including our nominations for the show of the year. We've got some IMSA news, uh, which we're going to push back a little bit now as well. We'll have two generations uh, of the uh, Adam's of family. our Adam uh, of the Adam family. <laughs> yes, uh, stop it, um, <laughs> and uh, that will come up in now in the second hour. Tim, with a bit of calendar news next. Yes, uh, and it's bike. Calendar you do like news. a good bit of calendar news, don't you? Um, and Nick likes a bike, so uh, mm. we have the <laughs> 2021 <laughs> FIM Superbike World Championship calendar provisionally. Yes. So we and now know. Changed it around. We now know uh, where Johnny Ray is going to lift the trophy next year. 
where, where are we thinking it's going to be then? It's going to take the last round, do you? No, it'll be one of the outside of Europe ones, possibly Argentina. Mm, could be. Yes, I mean, the key point is they've done the sensible thing and decided not to start in Australia, John. So, hmm. because, you know, they were going to start in Australia beginning at the end of February, and that was still very <laughs> iffy if you'd be allowed to do it. Somebody so asked, actually, in, in, in those tweets, do we actually think that Formula One will kick off in Australia? I don't. No, no, but I think I. there's a bigger test before then. You might get some indication if the uh, uh, open tennis goes ahead, which is all they're already talking about delaying. Yeah. So, I think no is the answer. At the question. golf. Yes. So, uh, yeah, the, and that's not just. So I can't. The tennis is an interesting one because uh, the Australians uh, want it to go ahead, and they've even moved all the warm-up tournaments normally happen in Adelaide and Brisbane uh, mm. to Melbourne, so that everyone can just go to Victoria but then they've said that no one's allowed into the country so sorry go back go back to your your calendar news sorry because we're, we're pushing for time already we are, yes so let's talk, talk about tennis uh, first three rounds of the championship therefore um it's well super bike still are we talking about it yes yeah but basically they're, they're not going abroad sorry they are going abroad they're not going out of Europe I do apologize they're not going out of Europe uh until the back end of the season in fact not till late October so they kick off with a selection of rounds starting um in the end of april 23rd of april in at Aston in the netherlands and they go to portugal and Estoril, they go to spain aragon italy misano donington gets around back in july but not but just a world superbikes no so no super sport support on that one for some reason don't know why then france two more spains barcelona and jerez and then the last round in europe is portimao on the first third of october and then there is a theoretical international leg which is argentina indonesia Australia, which doesn't Not have a date, in that and, a, order. and also with the 13th event still to be announced, which is very nebulous. So basically, it's a, it's a, again, it's 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 not. It, it, I'm sure it won't actually look like that, but they've, they've, they're, I'm sure they've nailed down the first nine in Europe, and then they'll work out what to do next with the flyways. Uh, one bike event that's not happening next year is the Isle of Man TT. I know. Oh. Fair enough. It's an island. They've had very little coronavirus there. They obviously aren't convinced that the the situation will improve. Yes, and they want to keep it like that, a bit like Australia, which you can't really knock them for, can you? What they've basically done, they've made an assessment. They think, all right, it's summer, so things will be better. And yes, there'll be a vaccine, so things will be better. But we don't think it'll be better enough. So we're going to, to give everyone a much better chance and call it off early. And in fairness to them, you can't argue with it. They've called it off early enough not not to really massively affect. Everyone's still planning for next year. No one's planned through the TT at this point with any great amount. Correct. And they know not to bother now. So I actually I actually applaud them. That's, that's a very expensive decision for that country to make because that's one of their big... Didn't happen this year either, did it, of course? No, but that was a late call-off because everything was. I, I, I mean, there are several events around the world that are happening much earlier than that, whereby... I'd kind of like that decision to be made now because if it's a no, then it has to be a no now. You know, when you look at something like, and uh, let me talk about something we know about here, the WEC, and I'm, I'm, I'm not having to go at the WEC, by the way. I'm using them as an example. Their test and race at Sebring is March. Uh, and, you know, you'd be setting up in the first week in March. And so the cars because everything's going on ships nowadays to keep costs down, they're going to have to go in January? Yeah, Back end of week. January? You, you, you're talking 
six, eight weeks away. And people are trying to put together plans for an event that m may not happen. And that may, according to Paddock Chatter in Bahrain, uh, actually be moved uh, to Europe. Uh, and be moved to date. Portimao. Yeah, move to Portimao later in the year, sometime in late April. Yeah. So no. I, I think you're right. I, I, as I say, I am not having a go at any particular championship. I'm using that as uh, to show how difficult it is for all championships and how brave it is, as Nick rightly says, for the TT to, uh, to, to make that call early. Just to prove you live, by the way, interception in the end zone. Um, so... Oh dear! There, there you go. Uh, so one time at door of Welsh with bike news. Yeah. Go on. Chaz Davis has got a ride. Yes. Chaz good Davis news. Has swapped now. It turns out with Michael River Rinaldi and gone to the Go Eleven Ducati, which apparently, though it's not being said, will be another works bike effectively, but just with the Go under the Go Eleven banner rather than the works Ducati banner. So he stayed within the family and he has a chance to uh, carry out, increase his already impressive victory total. And if we're doing a bit of bike news. Um, also, some news from MotoGP that Suzuki have picked up a quite important and high-profile sponsor. Not just a big one, it's a monster one. Very good. You've got, you know, you, I, I, if only we'd rehearsed that. I know. <laughs> We've been spending too much time. What was that used to go, monster, monster? Some sort of, he was a, an agent, wasn't he? Not clear. What was his name? Yeah, it was a, there was yes, a... Yes, I know who you mean. Yeah, I can't uh, remember his name. Anyway, so, but that... And the news continues, of course, that... Um, the Petronas team at the moment running Yamahas will be Suzuki by 2022 with um, Valet effectively taking ownership of that team. Mm, interesting. Mm. Uh, next, we go to Japan. Super Formula is to allow tyre right. warmers for its season finale this weekend. I'm not surprised. It's that this cold. Is, this is due to it being December and it being yes. cold. And where are they at? Uh, Suzuka, I think. I'd guess there, even if it wasn't. Uh, do you remember the last time uh, Super Formula had a race uh, in December? No. Well, it wasn't called Super Formula then. It was Japanese Formula 3000. It was 1987. And because of the <laughs> cold weather, they had to shorten it to just 30 laps. It was won by Aguri Suzuki. Really? Was everyone getting cold there? Was like the driver's getting frostbite? I'd imagine the drivers uh, had some nice gloves on, but everyone in the pits presumably was getting frostbite. Um, Peter Bester has told us it was Eric Hall, who was a monster, monster man. Yes, I didn't realise, very sadly, yes. he passed away on the 16th. He actually passed away earlier this year, on the 16th of November. Very good. At Spectretainment, by the way, passed away a couple of weeks ago. Also, Tweet Sport uh, and Phil uh, men's, uh, mentioning uh, that. Anything else, Tim? Uh, I think we're going to be slightly early doing this. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Well, another packed two hours. But before I tell you about what's happening in this show, don't forget, after this show, it'll be Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones looking back at the Le Mans Cup, the Michelin Le Mans Cup 2020. In hour two, more of Nick. Uh, we'll have Shea Adam. Uh, to talk to us about IMSA. Uh, we'll have team by team with Nick as well as the other big news from Formula One at the weekend, which everybody has an opinion on as well. At Spectatainment, please, 
if you'd like to get in touch uh, with us here at Midweek Motorsport. Uh, but coming up next, we'll start our two with a bit of IMSA news and a bit of good news for IMSA and for one of the teams that we've been talking about quite Midweek a lot. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. That's right, a couple of weeks ago we reported the news that Team TGM was ending its sabbatical and returning to the Michelin Pilot Challenge with a GS Camaro GT4. Uh, well, it seems one IMSA Championship is just not enough for them, as yesterday they announced an entry into the Rolex 24 hours in January as well in the GT Daytona class for the Porsche GT3 RS. And just before the announcements was made on Tuesday, John spoke to Ted Giovannis the TG in TGM, and asked him how the Rolex 24 entry has come about. It started a couple of years ago. It came out of a discussion with, with actually with Hugh and I, uh, about running in a bigger race, uh, and uh, certainly the Le Mans series came up. And then, actually, as I, we were thinking about that, this past year, in January 2020, at the Daytona 24, I was there, and late at night, I was looking at the, you know, the race from uh, the Chevrolet suite, and it basically it was like, well, why, why don't we, just, why don't we run this? Uh, it's a track we know. Uh, it's a track we've all run on. It's a track we can get track time at. And so that's when, in effect, the decision uh, I took that thought back and uh, talked it over with with you, and we said, well, that's pretty much a good idea because um, it makes some uh, sense. Unfortunately you know. for you, because I know how very pleased you are, not to say delighted with the Camaro GT4 car, there is no GM GT3 car. So you had to clearly start a search for uh, what steed you would be using in the race. How quickly did you get to Porsche and the venerable 911? In a way, it was relatively easy. We had gone through some thought processes before about uh, platform options for running, um, you know, a longer race. And uh, for whatever reason, I seemed to suit uh, uh, the Porsche platform better. Uh, relative speeds, me relative to Owen or Hugh, in the Porsche the, the gap is less between them and I in the same car on the same day on the same track. And so that's why it seems to make sense uh, that we would go to Porsche. I've, I've raced Porsches. I have, I have owned Porsches. Um, I raced Porsche Cup car. And so the, given the crude similarities between the, the Cup car and the GT3R, it's you know, it makes some degree of crossover sound. I'm reminded of, of talking to you about your, your Porsche Cup cars. And from what I have been told by drivers who are immeasurably more talented than me, which in fairness is just about anybody who gets behind the steering wheel of a racing car, um, that if you can drive a Porsche Cup car with no traction control, with no ABS, then jumping into the GT 3R, the GT3 version of that car, is is actually quite a sensible step to take, and in some ways, it's a it's a more user friendly car. I've already bridged the gap in a couple of those respects, from the standpoint that in the uh, the, the timeline for the Porsche Cup car, 
uh, has been uh, I was I have been racing an older Porsche Cup car uh, that has had adjustable ABS in it and downforce. So that sort of gotten me used to downforce plus adjustment ABS. And even the newer Cup cars, <clears throat> excuse me, the 991, uh, the newer 991.2s um, uh, have ABS, but the gold cars didn't. So now with the new evolutions of these cars, so now I've already gotten exposed to my current uh, driving with uh, the, in the Michelin series with some adjustable traction control. Yeah. And so now we, we so I'm, I'm getting those in different platforms, meaning traction control versus ABS. But we're, we're doing all of this, um, you know, all of this seems to make sense. It's an experiential thing. And um, uh, that's one of the reasons, to be honest with you, I raced in another series yeah. with downforce was to get used to it because we had our eye on a car with much more downforce and better handling in the corners. Couple of very obvious questions. First about the car itself. Is this a brand new build car to you or have you picked it up from from uh, a team that's already in the US or in Europe? It is a brand new car uh, purchased from Porsche Motorsport North America. And we, uh, we've we had the car for uh, a better part of a month. And, um, you know, we're the, the team, not we, not Ted, uh, the team as well and uh, working on the car um, doing uh, doing things uh, to it to get it get it prepared uh, uh, so or not not that it doesn't come from Porsche Motorsports prepared but there's there's um, other things that need to be uh, done on the car to make it ready for endurance racing yes. in the United States okay uh, so I can't beat that new race car smell uh, love it love it everybody's going to be now heading to their roller decks and looking for your number because they're going to want to know who you're driving with. When are we going to find out who's in that car with you? You know, we have plans and um, uh, they're on a timeline and will be announced in about a week or so. I'll ask you this question to save loads of people ringing you up. Have you already got those drivers sorted out? Is there an opportunity for somebody who might want to drive or is that pretty much a done deal and it's a question of, of your your timeline in announcement rather than making decisions? It's it's more the latter than the former. Okay. We might save you from a, a one or two phone calls in that respect, <laughs> Ted. That is a very, very competitive class within the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. That is a very big race indeed. Do you set yourself goals, ambitions for that? TGM don't go into anything to make up the numbers. So you must think you've got a chance of, of getting a result there. I would say yes, we do, but we're not setting the bar uh, high. Sure, we want to, sure we'd like to win, but realistically, uh, we, we know that that might not be possible for the first time out. So we're going to uh, we put together the right team, uh, and no pun intended, because we're wor- working with right motorsports on this particular en- endeavor. And in, in addition to that, we have our own crew that can um, augment that through you know, the pit stops and such. So we, we've, we, we have the right components, and John Wright's group will assist us. And uh, because of their great experience with the Porsche platform and the 24, mm. they, they can uh, provide 
the best opportunity for us to achieve uh, a good result upon initiation. It strikes me that you've made the investment in time and financially in this new car just to do one race, uh, Ted? Question mark at the end. I'll leave that open. Answer it or, answer it or don't answer it. It's your choice. To be honest with you, we're, um, we're focused on what we're doing because this is a pretty big jump for us. Uh, uh, less so for for uh, some of the people involved in this, but more so for me. And so we're trying to throttle ourselves and make sure we don't have an overly optimistic appraisal of what we're going to be doing or what we could do. But what else we do with the car once we uh, get through this race, you know, we're looking forward. But it also depends on, you know, sponsorship opportunities and the ability to pull some – uh, some other components together in that yes. regard. So uh, there, there's some other things needed to, in order for to take another step or whatever. But we'll we'll see what we do, and then uh, we'll see what opportunities come up, and then we'll make that decision downstream. That was uh, Ted Giovannis talking to me earlier in the week, just before the announcement that they'll be taking a brand new Porsche. A GT3, GT Daytona to the Rolex 24. Uh, Shea Adam, our IMSA uh, radio colleague and our VP Racing Field Pit and Paddock reporter, joins us uh, on the line now. And in fact, we have two generations of uh, the Adam family because Bill's with us as well. Shea's dad. I'll, 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 I'll go to the senior member of the family first and say good evening to Bill Adam. Hello, Bill. How are you? Hello, John. Nice to be with you again. Good to hear your voice, sir. It's been far, far too, too long. Um, I, I, I'll ask you first before I, I ask Shea about the, the machinations of what we've just heard with Ted. Uh, going to the Rolex Daytona 24 in a Porsche, it, it can't ever be a bad thing to do. And it sounds from the way that Ted and the team have, have thought this out. Obviously, they normally run a GT4 car in the pilot challenge which is a, a, a chevy camaro but the way they've thought this out they've gone about this very very sensibly indeed yeah i agree and and you're right john i i don't know of a a better car to run the 24 hour in once upon a time you could jump into a portion it was a uh, a 50 50 proposition as to whether the car would bite you or help you but nowadays <laughs> they're just so darned good that it makes a wonderful car for that race and Wonderful that they get all the testing and, and experience of running it there. And great to hear, Bill, that Daytona and the Rolex at Daytona in particular is right back where it should be as a top international draw. Uh, you know, one of the first races in the year, of course, a big 24-hour race. And since the merger between IMSA and Grand Am, it's gone from strength to strength, exactly as I think all of us who were sports car fans were hoping. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it is wonderful. And, you know, when I first fell in love with racing, like you, John, you, you would look and see, uh, I mean, gosh, even when you would read about it, the Ford GTs and the Ferrari, the 330P3s, P4s that would run Daytona. It was magical. It was absolutely one of those things that we would dream about just to listen to the sound of the race engines. And it just grew and grew. And 
then sadly fell upon hard times briefly, but now to see it come back so strong, it does my heart good. Uh, and, and and rightly so. Uh, stay with us for a moment, Bill, if you will. Uh, uh, Shay, listening to what you heard there, the question that I asked, the two questions that I asked at the end are the two relevant questions. Um, drivers we're going to find out about. You can run five drivers. They have got yeah. four drivers. Um, yeah. I, I suspect that even though... Uh, when I was talking to Ted yesterday, he said what he said, and I gave him the opportunity. I, I should, I should think there'll still be some people on the phone, but <laughs> I, 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 you know, strictly speaking, really, they have got four very good drivers who know each other. They have a family already established over at TGM, and you know, it's it's been a, a difficult season for them. They debuted with the Camaro at Daytona for the four-hour endurance race to kick the season off. And then stepped aside due to some pretty noble reasons, have to say. So now they're coming back. Oh, yeah, we should remind everybody, by the way, that was Ted Giovannis's company doing work on COVID-19 vaccination and how virus spreads and things like that and modelling and stuff like that. And that was thought to be more important than going racing. And who are any of us to to argue argue with that? They're back, yeah. they're back with the GT4 programme for the full season. Then they're now they've bought a new Porsche to go and do this. So drivers, we know, you know, they have a, 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 that's their their announcement to make. There may be one extra on that. We'll find out in due course. But but that's a significant investment. And the other question I asked, which which Ted, I said he could answer it or not answer it, but he, he, I'm sure he knew he would speculate <laughs> about this, about whether there might be some other long distance races during the year. Yep. Um, I would not be surprised to see the second Wright Motorsport Porsche running at uh, maybe one, two, couple other events. Uh, also, remember, this is a team that Wright Motorsport this year, they were second in the GTD championship. Yeah. They were expecting to run a second car for all the sprint races, but obviously due to COVID-19 reasons, that fell through. So this is a team that was already prepared to run two cars I could very easily see John Wright picking up mm. this effort and and not coercing, but maybe convincing Ted to take up a couple different races, try out Sebring. But a lot of people close to Ted have been saying, hey, the Porsche, it's such a good car for you. And he even yeah. said it, the gap between himself, the Plums and Owen is much less than a Porsche. This is a great move for him. And let's see how Daytona goes. I'm very smart to use John uh, and the right, uh, motorsports organisation, they they absolutely know how to get a Porsche to the end. Listen, I, I, I could talk about that for a while. It's very good news for IMSA. It, it's another car in the Rolex 24, but there's other uh, to talk about. Uh, let's talk about GT3, um, first of all, with uh, Performance Tech bringing back a, a big-named sponsor and uh, li- uh, confirming their, their lineup as well for LMP3. Well, this is a tricky one, and you had to read the press release pretty carefully. It's our first IMSA prototype challenge team that's Good been point. announced for the year. Now, we have LMP3 capable of running in two different series. They can run in prototype challenge or in the WeatherTech Championship. And Rasmus Lind and Dan Goldberg back once again with Performance Tech. This is the first car that we have confirmed for prototype challenge. So that is a big step because... We're not entirely sure how many LMP3 entries are going to be in the big show versus the sports series. This is one that's ratcheted up for the support series. And, and that is the big unknown. And that is the question yes. mark that everybody was talking about. Who would be seduced, if you will, by the big show? Who would stay uh, in their own championship? 
let's talk about the big show. And right at the front of the big show, all the talk in the last few weeks has been about the accurate DPIs moving out from Penske and moving in to uh, other hands. Uh, and as far as MSR is concerned, a name that we are very familiar with, uh, completing their endurance driver lineup. Uh, John Paul Montoya, Juan Pablo Montoya is going to be uh, the <laughs> endurance driver Jump for on. Mike Shank. Yes, exactly. For uh, Meyer Shank Racing. So Mike's uh, organization hanging on to the Monaco Grand Prix winner, the two times Indianapolis 500 winner. Juan's not leaving our paddock uh, too far for too long. And um, it was actually interesting that we were talking, I, I was actually talking with a friend uh, last week about the division of all of Acura Team Penske's goods and how at Sebring, the day after the race, effectively everything that belonged to Acura Team Penske was just going to be sort of put in the middle of the paddock <laughs> between MSR and WTR and whoever could get there first could get it. Um, Elio and Rossi were claimed by Wayne Taylor. Now Montoya and Dane Cameron have been claimed by Michael Shank, so it's pretty fair. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was the ultimate Black Friday sale. I like it. Yeah, exactly. very good. He knows the car, of course. Uh, any other DPI news, or do you want to move on to P two? Uh, nothing else for DPI. P two then. P two. Uh, Rick Ware Racing, which yes. was a team that um, tried to run the Rolex this last year, but didn't quite make it with their LMP two entrant. They've teamed up with Eurasia Motorsport. They are going to be back in January. We only know one of the drivers so far. It's going to be Cody Ware, the son of mm -hmm. Rick, the team owner. But they've had a lot of success in the Asian Le Mans series. So we'll wait and see what they can do in the Rolex as it is right now. Just a one off, uh, but it could become a Michelin Endurance Cup entry. Coming down the two minute warning, by the way, in the football and it's uh, seven six. Um, just to to let you know, just to prove we are uh, <laughs> real. Um, the uh, let's talk about GT Daytona. Uh, we have one very big announcement for this week. Uh, it's going to take me a moment to not call it AVS or VS. I know. Vassar Sullivan has announced today that they will continue with a two Lexus campaign for next year in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. One of their driver lineups has been announced. I believe the other car still has an available seat. So drivers with budget, submit your applications towards the yellow and black Lexuses. Um, but Jack Hawksworth and Aaron Tielitz will be back once again in the 14 Lexus. And hopefully this time they'll be partnered up the whole year so they can share championship honors. Stay with us, Shay. Lots for, for you to talk about. Uh, in a moment, we've got some more sports car news. But, Bill, some sad news coming to us. A, a couple of people that we both know, uh, sadly, have uh, have died in the, the last few days uh, with IMSA connections. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on to uh, remember them both. Uh, and let's start with a man who had such respect in the IMSA paddock, Charlie Cook, uh, part of the technical team, integral part of the technical team, one of the men at the very top of the technical team, right from the uh, the ALMS days. I, I was fortunate enough to to spend quite a lot of time with Charlie down through the years, and in fact, we shared houses together at various uh, at various events. Uh, he 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 ruled on the technical side, but ruled by consent. And by good humour, what a smashing bloke and, and, and sad to hear of his passing. He truly was, John. I mean, gosh, I have so many good memories of Charlie. He was 
he was one of these people that you always looked forward to seeing. He was just a delight. And you know that you could be away for a week or a month. And whenever you met up with him again, he was going to be wearing this big smile. Yeah. And I just I, I have just wonderful, wonderful memories from the very first time I met Charlie. And I think like you that uh, Charlie enjoyed sipping a beverage or two. And I think my first ever <laughs> time of trying moonshine oh, was dear. sitting with charlie having a glass wall well i've got to tell you it was only gin and tonic uh, as far as uh, uh, charlie and i uh, nocturnal activities uh, was uh, was was concerned a quiet man uh, but very considered huge knowledge of all types of motorsport which which he and i used to talk about on those evenings quite a lot far more of a depth of a character than i think people some people perhaps gave him credit for. Yeah, and I, th I think it was perfect for his job, too, because no matter how good the crew chief was, maybe trying to <laughs> slip one by him, Charlie probably knew as much as the crew chief about that very car. It would kind of go very quietly. Um, no, you, you can't do that because this is wrong because. Yes. And with his good personality, of course, nobody ever got offended. They would just do the changes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Charlie Cook will be missed. And those sort of people, you just find it so difficult. There's a fabulous technical crew uh, at IMSA nowadays. Uh, but Charlie really bridged the gap uh, from the, the different generations there. And he'd be must, much missed, not just from the technical side, but also for his, his personality. And also news coming through to us uh, today. Uh, about another one of the the IMSA old guard, I suppose you could say, uh, who has uh, has passed away, who died uh, uh, in his sleep at home in Charlotte, North Carolina. Bill Ausler, Billy William, Billy as he was known, Ausler. Jim Roller, our good friend, writes, he had a huge heart and kindness for others. His love of motorsports, military history and a good debate knew no boundaries. Six decades he spent uh, in racing, working for manufacturers or PR designate for not only Porsche North America, but for all of Audi, Volkswagen, Toyota, Michelin, BF, Goodrich, Tires and indeed IMSA. Very well known for his motorsport journalism and his compelling and prolific racing photography. His journalistic nature was nurtured early as a young court reporter and wire surfer stringer in New England and West Virginia. It flourished at National Speedsport News as he worked hand-in-hand -hand with the legendary Chris Economarchy. His knowledge and affection for all things Porsche was renowned and his multiple books on the subject just offered a peek into his garage uh, and anyone, or a peek into his garage at any one time truly demonstrated that Porsche love. He'll be being remembered most importantly, though, for his boundless generosity and the friendship he gave willingly to so many. Fiercely loyal and friends always knew they could count on him. Smashing, smashing bloke, Bill Ausler. And I know you knew him far better than I. Um, and I, I don't even know what to say. Bill, because, you know, he, he'd just been a, a permanent fixture for me a, around the paddocks and somebody you could talk to who had a, an encyclopedic knowledge. He did. I, I think that's a perfect way to describe it, that he was like a walking encyclopedia. And whether it was racing information or, or streetcars, I, I can remember at one point, John, I had a, a Porsche that I needed to replace a part on. I think it was a distributor cap. And I was bemoaning the fact that it was going to cost so much money. And Bill 
just said, no, go to the Volkswagen store and order such and such a part. It's exactly the same cap and it's 10% the price of the Porsche part. And of course he was right. He was just this remarkable, unselfish, giving man who was an integral part in motorsport. When when we love the sport, we love the mechanics that we meet. Mm. We love the other drivers, the PR people. And Bill was a huge part of it, being such a great writer and his generosity to spend time and, and give information to others was stunning. He, he was a remarkable, wonderful, down-to-earth, humble man. I, I will really, really miss Bill. Uh, uh, tonight, and if I, as we're talking, I, actually, I said that we, we were at the two-minute warning. We worked. Sorry, it was two minutes ago in the first quarter at, at, at Baltimore at, at Pittsburgh. Um, you're a football man, uh, and you're you're a Raiders guy, Bill. And I still proudly have the Raiders shirt that that you got for me. And Bill Owsler used to love to call you when there was a Raiders <laughs> game on because he knew it wound you up. <laughs> you're so right. You remember that as well as I do. And yeah, I get so passionate. It, it's so funny. I've talked to so many people and say that when I was in a race car. As soon as I would get in, tighten the belts and shake hands with the crew chief, I could switch the world off. It just became a machine at that point. You just want to do the job, do it perfectly and so on. When I watch the Raiders, I'm the complete opposite. I turn into a basket case where I'm banging the floor <laughs> with my hands. I'm biting my fingernails. I'm yelling and screaming at the TV. And so I wait with bated breath for the games to start. And Bill would wait until a minute and a half into the game and call me and go, hey, Bill, so what are you doing? And I would always be ready to kill him. So for God's sakes, Bill, I'm watching the Raiders and hang up on him. Yeah, and I'm sure he was laughing. Of course he was. He had a slightly risque sense of humor uh, sometimes. Uh, again, uh, uh, in a different way to Charlie, sometimes misunderstood. Um, yeah. you, you had to get to know him. He had to want the, for you to get to know him. I was fortunate that, that he and I clicked fairly early on, even though I was from the, the other side of the Atlantic. But th there was something in, in the pair of us that, that clicked together. Um, but the thing was, whereas some people, you and I talked about this early on, whereas some people, you can, you can sense a bit of arrogance about people. There was no arrogance with Bill because he actually did know no. what he was talking about. Oh, yeah, he, he did. He had a, an absolutely staggering knowledge and he could look at something and go, mm, that's not right. It, it looks like 2.2 millimeters and it's supposed to be 2.4 millimeters. And he was just incredible. And yet so down to earth, I would frequently meet Bill for breakfasts when we both lived in Miami and go to our favorite little bagel shop. And I would always joke with Bill and say, um, I know what you had yesterday morning for breakfast. And why is that? I said, because I can see it on your shirt where you dribbled it down as you were eating it. He was the sloppiest eater in the world, but he didn't care. He was completely unpretentious and just delightful. It'd be much missed. Uh, he had a fantastic collection of model cars and some lovely 914s as well. Uh, but for all of those things, I'll miss him for just being able to sit down and see that goofy grin of his when he was cracking some joke or telling some story ah oh, just so so much missed bill bill thank you very much for your members of bill ausler and and uh, billy ausler will be much missed by uh, all of us who knew him uh, and by the 
hundreds of thousands of people who read his books. Uh, Jim Roller, thank you for sending some words through. Uh, Bill Adam, uh, pleased to hear you enjoyed your, your Thanksgiving. You enjoy the rest of the holidays. It's been too long, my friend. You and Diane, take you care. Thanks so much, John. See you soon, Bill. Bill Adam joining us from uh, from Florida. Uh, and you're listening to Midweek Motorsport uh, live on RS1. couple of real characters that we've lost in Charlie and Billy uh, from the IMSA paddock now. Uh, Midweek Motorsport, Series 15, Episode 47. Uh, Shea Adam is still uh, with us, taking over Hello. from my dad. Yes, very good. Uh, <laughs> I once had to throw it to my dad in a, a IMSA uh, situation. Dad of the pit lane now. And... Uh, Oh, me dad. Um, She's never that's all had I to do think that of. yet. No, she hasn't yet. had to do no. that. No, not yet. yet. Not yet this time. Uh, Tim, you've got a bit more sports car news. You promised more sports car news, and there's one more sports car news story. It comes from China. Oh, there's more than one. We've got some Le Mans news as well, or some ACO news as well, but go on. Do we? Oh, yes. You haven't told me about that. We might not have time for that. Uh, Absolute Racing is returning to the Asian Le Mans series, a team that finished as runners-up in the 2015-16 championship in the uh, GT class and then uh, went and raced somewhere else uh, is back with <laughs> a car that they haven't chosen and drivers who they haven't named no they've got Porsches it's a two car Porsche team uh, specific details of which GT cars will be revealed at a later date said uh, well, it might be Porsches then Ingo Matter Ingo, Ingo I love the bit uh, we director. did an inside story with Ingo and uh, and absolute a few years ago. Good news uh, on the back of some... Fa- I mean, it's all been good news for Asian Le Mans series recently, Shea. It looks like they're going to have a really good gr- grid. Yeah, it really does. It, it, even though it's going to be um, the condensed season, I yeah. think it's fair to say, um, it's going to be a massive season for them because they've got so many people interested in watching and people coming into it too. It, it's going to be really neat. But as you said um Porsches, probably, maybe. Um, they've been known to run, Absolute has been known to run uh, Porsche, Audi, Audi mm-hmm. Bentley. Um, so we know that they like a certain kind of manufacturer. Oh, that's a good <laughs> point. I see what you're saying. Uh, mm. I see what you're saying. Uh, one more story from uh, Tim before I get my LMP2 story in. One more story from Absolute because uh, oh, really? they've also announced uh, earlier today that they're uh, going to return to the Asian Formula 3 Championship in 2021. Oh, really? Uh, with, um, have they announced a drive on this? <laughs> Doesn't say they have, no. Uh, TBD? But, uh, that well-known driver, TBD, yes. Yeah. But they will be taking part in all five rounds, uh, which um, are mostly, in fact, they're all triple headers. Two of them support the Asian Le Mans series, of course. Um the two on February the 5th and 6th at Yas Marina and 19th and 20th at Yas Marina, uh, with the others being at Yas Marina and Dubai on other dates in January and February. Yeah, exactly so. Uh, and shit. You've got, got some sorry. LMP2 news at Le Mans, apparently. Well, WEC. Yes, involving a young Dane. Uh, well, a Dane. <laughs> actually, three Danes shit, actually, isn't it? It, it is a, a Dane good lineup going on uh, uh, for high class there. racing. Sorry, they they have a white polar bear on the uh, rear quarter panel of the car, and I love the red and white livery. It looks mildly Canadian, but I won't tell them that. I know it's Danish. Um, yes, they've got Anders Fjordback, Dennis Anderson, 
And Jan Magnussen going to be driving their LMP2 car next year. That is a fantastic lineup. That is indeed a fantastic uh, lineup. And we wish them the best. A red, white, and black um, livery, which is catching my attention clearly uh, as well. Share, uh, stay with us. Uh, Nick Damon has rejoined us. Hello again, Nick. Hello, team. Yeah, excellent stuff. Uh, still 7 6, by the way. In the football, proving yeah. we're live. At Specutainment, sorry, I haven't looked at uh, Twitter for a little while. Didn't want to interrupt what we were doing. Dave Alcock says, what a great gentleman Bill sounded on the show tonight. And great to hear words from Jim Roller uh, as well. Um, I worked with Bill for quite a while, Dave, uh, long, be- long before you heard the vocal talents of Shea on the airwaves. And I think I had pretty much the the best season and a half, two seasons of working uh, that I could have had with anybody. It was so much fun uh, and great to hear Bill Adam uh, on the airwaves again this evening. Uh, still to come tonight, uh, we have Nick with his team by team from the Grand Prix at the weekend. But are you going to play the theme for this? Well, no, because we're not doing that yet. Are we not? What are we no. doing? Well, so okay. far this season... Four British drivers have been crowned as FIA World Champions. Oh, right, yes. Yep, yep. Can you name them between the three of you? Uh, FIA World Champions. Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton, Hamilton. yes. Well, Mike Conway. None of... He hasn't been crowned yet yet. because they haven't had the ceremonies. But yes, Mike. Mike Conway's good. John, can you pick another Uh, one? What else have we had? In FIA, World Championships in FIA, so it can't be two and GTE. Ah, okay, yes, because that's a separate championship. Yeah, the the Aston guys in GT. This weekend we could see a fifth. Yeah. And who's that going to be? Uh, Elvin Evans. Elvin Evans, indeed. He's the. That's rally, Nick. By the way, because you didn't know. Yeah, I know. But it's the rally of Monza in the snow. We might get our snow rally. Yeah, it's snow, snow banking. That's uh, no joke. Ha- Elvin Evans has a 14-point advantage over his uh, t- Toyota Gazoo racing teammate, Sebastian Ogier. Uh, with 30 points on offer, Evans is bidding for his maiden title, while uh, Ogier already has six to his name. Uh, it's a late addition to the WRC calendar, truncated by COVID-19. It mixes speed tests at uh, Monza with uh, some tricky asphalt in the foothills of the Alps near Lake Como. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smooth circuit featuring classic corners like Parabolica, steeply banked curves on an old oval track and awkward gravel service roads means Monza's challenging contrasts... Uh, uh, Monza's challenge contrasts with the more traditional mountain special stages that will be driven on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's... That and uh, good luck uh, to good luck Elvin. to win. Mm. Um, and Twitter. and they've attached a photo to this press release of um, all of them. Sebastian Ogier, or as we ought to yep. call him, Sebastian Ogier. If he wore glasses <laughs> and yes. grew a beard, yeah, he would look like Alexander Sims. He would. I agree with that. <laughs> I do agree with that. 
I've just found an email from Ingo Mata. I wasn't looking for that at all. <laughs> didn't I? Is, it, is he telling you who his F3 drivers are, even though they're not announced yet? Oh, I don't know. I should have looked at that. Yeah, good call. <laughs> Nomination time for the Man of the Year show. For the show of the year. Yes. You can't have the Man of the Year show. Oh, now okay. it is. It's the um, show of the year. So we are uh, joined, as you mentioned, by uh, Shay Adam. Uh, good evening, Shay. Hello. And Nick Damon. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, Shay. Good evening, John. And good evening, Johnny on tape. And also we say hello to Johnny Palmer. Hello, hello Johnny. Johnny Palmer. Good Johnny, evening, everybody. I hope you're well. <laughs> turn your mic on. Tell you me. Uh, uh, nice to see that everybody's got dressed up for this section. And I noticed that even uh, Shay's hello was a little more, you know, evening wear. Very nice off the Nick. shoulder that yeah, you're wearing there, to, uh, Nick. Uh, lovely. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to, yeah, I've celebrated with the Greg's pie as well to keep it classy. Did you? Very nice. Okay, we haven't Very got a lot good. of time left. So uh, we'll okay. move straight on to the nominations. And uh, we're going to start with the category of young driver of the year, which is for drivers who were 21 or younger on the 1st of January 2020. Uh, and John, we're going to ask you to go first in this uh, category. Who is your nominee and why? Yuki Tsunoda is who I am choosing. Currently an F2 driver uh, in his rookie season in F2. By the time he completes the F2 season, he will have only completed 98 car races in his career since he came out of karts. And he's on the cusp of a Formula 1 drive. He's battling to get super license points, actually. Uh, and I think he's, he's done a cracking season. He's proved he can do it from all parts of the grid. He drove... Uh, at the weekend from 22nd well up into the point sixth, I think, from memory, because I can't find my notes uh, when I put them down. Uh, and I think for a just over 20-year-old, he's no, he's well inside uh, Tim's young driver uh, uh, protocols. Yeah, we're changing that next uh, year. It's going to be 18 next year. There's too many drivers. Uh, you, you look at okay. some of the young talent in something like the European Le Mans series where you've got 16 and 17-year-olds. Yeah, that's true. Um, we, need, yeah, we need to make true. it younger. Shay, who's your young driver? Yuki Sonoda, anyways, Mike. Shay. <laughs> For 2020, uh, your TCR champion in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, Ryan Norman, who is 21 years old or younger, it should be said, as of January 1st, uh, wound up in 10 races with five podiums where he won three of them and finished second in the other two, burst onto the seams with a team that was known for winning championships, but no one was paying attention to his car. So before the year began, Ryan Norman was not exactly a household name in North America. Now he is one of the up-and-coming sports car superstars. Uh, Johnny, who are you going to go for? Well, this is one that might uh, fall beneath the radar as far as all of the achievements of United Autosports in season 2020 because they also won in LMP3 in the European Le Mans series with Wayne Boyd, who we know all about now, Rob Weldon and a certain Tom Gamble, who only three years ago was racing in Junetta Juniors. He's now 18 and managed to take three wins with Rob and Wayne uh, to their title in the ELMS LMP3 
championship 94 points for the three of them and for me the races a lot of the time were won and lost on Tom's stints uh, Wayne was the star in that lineup but often Tom was put in in the middle portion when the race is very very busy you have to keep it out of trouble but you also have to keep up the pace as well and I thought he adjusted to prototype racing very uh, handily indeed so Tom Gamble and finally Nick uh, my nomination for young driver is Robert Schwartzman, by far oh. the most impressive of the uh, G, uh, Formula 2 rookies, and in many ways the most impressive of the drivers of all. Um, started brilliantly, won, and has actually won more individual races than anyone else. True. Had a slight... Um, That's not know, quite true. No one's won the more middle. than him, have they? But he's tied for the he's most, won the most. No, he's won, he's won the most now, uh, as of the weekend. He won the sprint race. Ah. He won the sprint race at the weekend. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, as of the Ferrari drivers, there were three of them. Two of them have got the, have, have been given test drives, and one's been given an F1 seat. But luckily for Robert, he's a year behind that, so he can get himself uh, the championship next year, which he's already the big favourite, and definitely a talent which will see perhaps the first Russian challenging for victories in F1. Very good. Uh, next, we move on to team of the year. Shay, you can go first with this one. This was a difficult one for me, and, and it, it comes with a bit of a sentimental background, but the team of the year is the Porsche GT team that ran in IMSA. They kicked off the year super strong with a second and third at the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, and then things started to slow down quite a bit, but they knew that the season was going to end for them after the first race. They knew that there was no future. They still continued to pound on, and winning the last three races of the season, including Petit Le Mans and the Mobile One 12 Hours of season, Bring. They put their heads down. They did the work. They did a good job. So they are my team of the year. Uh, Nick, you next. Um, there can only be one team of the year within uh, motorsport, and that is Mercedes AMG F1 because they have totally dominated the pinnacle of motorsport, not just this year but many other years, but have set a record for seven consecutive constructors championship. And yes, oh, it's boring. Oh, it's dull, but it's one hell of an achievement. Uh, that'll be Mercedes, uh, Johnny. Uh, a dominant team in the World Endurance Championship, not only taking victory at the 24 hours of Le Mans after a tough battle, but also that same day sealing the manufacturer's title in the uh, GT Pro division. Aston Martin Racing of Banbury, so really pro drive beneath the skin, David Richards' oh, company, no, no, no. but uh, those cars... <laughs> Uh, brilliantly prepared they always looked great as well whether they were in uh, privateer hands or the the true factory cars the 95 and the 97 and uh, although the 98 did okay in the gte am category it was all about the the works cars and uh, i was delighted for maxi martin and alex lynn for taking victory at the 24 hours of Le Mans. It's a real shame that Alex then couldn't get to Bahrain because he was suffering from COVID-19 symptoms um, to make sure that he could seal the driver's title. But uh, there was only really one car in it all season long in the WEC, WEC and it was prepared by Aston Martin Racing. Uh, John? Well, Nick's not right, is he? Because, I mean, he's right in one that there can only be one winner of this. But you can't claim to be the best team of the year if you're only doing it in one championship and you're not having to do it across uh, several different championships. And it's all very well for Mercedes to be doing what they're doing. But, you know, they're spending a lot of money and they have it their own way. 
What about a team who has to take machinery that everybody else has got? I would say Mercedes had done well if everybody else had a Mercedes and everybody else had the same chassis and engine. Well, my team of the year have done because they have won in championships across a number of different series, a number of different disciplines, uh, including LMP3 and LMP2, both in WEC, ELMS and in Asia. And they've done it against the same machine. And that, of course, is United Autosports. Mercedes, I say, it's got to be United. Well, let's move on to car of the year. And Nick, you can go first on this one. Yeah, well, I think it's very sweet that that John nominates a team that's won some club races. Anyway, so um, the car of the year is the... (laughs) the, That's to get me sacked from this show. Uh, The car of the year... I've got Zach Brown on the phone. Doesn't want you to talk to you anymore. (laughs) The car of the year is, guess what? It's the Mercedes W11. They improved on the best. And for all of you who say it's just the car and not Lewis, well, you have to vote for the Mercedes W11, don't you? As by far the best Formula 1 car of the year and as a, of a lineage again that has now won seven championships. This is going to get very boring for my nomination because basically Mercedes are bloody brilliant. John? Uh, car of the year. Well, you heard Johnny talking about Aston Martin racing. Um, Aston Martin Vantage. Because in all of its forms, in GT4, GT3 and GTE, it's been a winner. All one platform, whether it's been run by the works teams or the customer teams, it's been a winner. It's the Aston Martin Vantage as my car of the year. Shay. Against the Corvette C8R, which is my car of the year. Six wins in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and only two races where they didn't take home a trophy. They built the car of the year to GM and the Chevy C8R. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> Johnny. Yeah, this one uh, surprised me. Uh, its ability to win the British Touring Car Championship this year, having seen the Infinity Q50 the first time in the BTCC when it was so slow and unreliable and just did not look like a race car at all in 2015. But um, Laser Tools Racing acquired it halfway through last year uh, when Aidan Moffat switched from his Mercedes and then it was a two-car team for 2020. Ash Sutton, we know, can win titles, has already done so for Subaru and managed to turn that car into a title-winning machine. They changed the engine as well, so it was a, a toker-powered car. But it is an infinity uh, in terms of its outer skin and uh, looked actually very good. It, it seems that uh, in other world touring car racing, we're tending to go for the more hatchback style and the front-wheel drive, but uh, a big saloon car did the business, and that was the Infinity Q50. A new category now for the uh, show of the year. Uh, it's Power Unit of the Year, and uh, Shay, you can go first on this one. Uh, the two-liter Mazda Turbo that powered the DPI, it won several races this year, but more importantly... It won endurance races. It can last and it can drive cars to the front. So Mazda have a winner on their hands. And that power unit, to me, was the power unit of the year. Uh, Just two litres as well. John, you got something bigger? Uh, Well, uh, you know, don't ask me personal questions. But uh, as far as the engine of the year is concerned, no, I am a two-litre four-pot man as well. And this is going to be controversial um, because my engine of the year uh, has caused some chat particularly in 
touring car racing, WTCR. It's the Hyundai uh, or Hyundai or Hyundai or however you say it, depending on which part of the world you're coming from. Two litre four pot motor uh, that is in all of the N TCR cars and forms the basis for the slightly more powerful uh, version in the rally car, uh, which is uh, has been doing so well as well. As I say, controversial because Hyundai have put a lot of work into what is effectively a stock block engine and some of the other manufacturers are going to have to catch up. It's challenging. It's been winning. It's the engine of the year. Johnny Palmer. I've picked this one both for its comic value, but also its amazing sound as well. Um, we're tending to go for lower fuel consumption to be kinder on the environment. But the new LMP3 engine for 2020 is even bigger than Nissan 5.6 litre VK56DE, to give it its name. Now, to give it its full title, um, it didn't particularly start well. And for the rest of the year, in fact, the regulations had to be rewritten for Le Mans Cup and uh, for the ELMS because it's very, very thirsty. That's not necessarily a bad thing for us fans, but for the teams, they had to weave a bit of extra strategy into it. And that's kind of the reason for voting for it as well. Although Orica rather embarrassed themselves for not building an engine that fitted into the regulations, it did create an extra little caveat in the race, which uh, I was a big fan of, and they just sound superb. And finally, Nick Damon. Uh, Nick's choosing the Hyundai engine as well, apparently. Sorry, we've lost him at the moment. uh, People think a two litre is a big engine, and these people think endurance race is one race. How about a 1.6 litre engine with 52% thermal efficiency, possibly even more than actually now, 62% thermal efficiency, and of course the ability to run many, many thousands of kilometres, eight whole race meetings. That's what I call an engine. And then you have more power than everyone else. You get that power without cheating. It's the Mercedes W11 EQ Power X engine. Of course it is. Quite obviously, obviously, the greatest engine in motorsport, as proven again by its seven world championships. Daytona 24 hours is longer than the whole season, Nick. No, it's so, not. No, it's not. Well, it's longer than one engine uses. Eight race meetings. How, how, many, how many hours are they at a meeting? Two hours for a race. No, no, because they have to use three uh, engines. Course. Okay. So you've got three hours of practice on Friday, an hour of practice on Saturday, uh, and I have 45 minutes of qualifying and the race. Okay. So it's actually about 32 to 35 hours. Uh, Engineer of the Year is another category that's new this year. We're also including designers. Uh, Let's start with Nick this time. Well, you know, so far... I've sort of chosen from a from a set list, really, you know, a lot of people from, from the cars, I must say. So, obviously, I'm going completely off-piste here. And I'm using Pete Bono Bonington, um, the race engineer for Lewis Hamilton, who um, has to uh, calm Lewis down, keep him motivated, translate his requirements into a car that has won, can I just point this out again, multiple world championships. Um, and I think it's about time that a man who actually has to uh, sit on the other end of the... Uh, the uh, radio, remember to to use the correct catchphrase. He has to use the word hammer time and get in there, Lewis. It's contractually obliged. Also, jolly nice bloke and a race engineer who I'm sure all the teams wish they had. Uh, Johnny Palmer. Strictly speaking, I've gone for a technical director, but Pascal Vassalon at Toyota um, was always part of the process and the conversation 
uh, talking about rules that were necessary in the WEC to make it interesting as far as Toyota were concerned up against rebellions and the bike Hollis car and that time is Janetta as well. And Vassalon really did want to, to, to generate a championship fight. He didn't have to. And Toyota could have you know, walked away with the title, but um, he was all for the success handicap. He wanted it in place at Bahrain as well, where there were only Toyotas in LMP1. And I kind of really like that, his ability to recognise there needs to be a motor race in the WEC um, and sometimes to the detriment of his cars. So um, I was grateful for that. So Pascal Vassalon gets my vote. Uh, John? Well, again, this is uh, an engineer uh, who has demonstrated that uh, he can win uh, with the team in a number of different scenarios, three, four, six, 24 hours. Uh, it is the all-conquering United Autosport and an engineer who I think is unbeaten uh, this year. And I, I don't think Bono can say that, can he? And he's only had one person to deal with, whereas Gary Robertshaw has at, had, at, at times had three people in the car that he's had to manage, as well as the car, and twice as many cars that is on a Formula One grid, at least as their competition. Gary Robertshaw, United Autosport, Engineer of the Year. Finally, Shay. Tim Sendrick is actually the engineer of the year, John. Sorry. Uh, he almost won the IndyCar championship, steal, trying to steal it away from Scott Dixon this year with helping Joseph Newgarden. And he did win the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship this year for Elio Castroneves and Ricky Taylor. Tim Sendrick's brain is the size of a small planet, and we are fortunate to have had him in IMSA for four years. Uh, another new category for this year is Bike of the Year. Let's start with Johnny. Johnny, do you know anything about bikes? I know absolutely nothing about bikes, but I have always been a big fan of trial biking. So I have to admit, I've followed nothing at all of the 2020 uh, FIM Trial World Championship. I learned that Antonio Boo won again the title and the bike that he was on was a Montessa Cota 4RT. So purely on that basis, gets my vote. He's the new Dougie Lampkin. What's wrong with the old Dougie Lamkin? Well, nothing at all, but, you know. Uh, what's your bike of the year, John? Oh, dead simple. Uh, the, not just because it was successful, but it's the best-looking bike as well. And that's the Suzuki GSX-RR, the MotoGP World Championship winning bike. Such a simple design. We've said it on the show before. You could look at that tail section and immediately, without looking at anything else, you would know that that was a Suzuki and that is absolutely brilliant. Uh, Shay Adam. Oh, hang on. If we're talking Boy. selfishly, I would go with Santa Cruz. Yeah, Sorry, Shay. Say again. We just Santa lost Cruz. you there for a moment. Uh, if we're going purely selfishly, I'll say the uh, Santa Cruz because I've been doing hiking on that. No, um, Yamaha. Let's go. Seem to be losing Shay Adam there. All I heard was Yamaha. So let's uh, move on to Nick Damon. 
world champions and multiple championship winning, of course. Uh, and so naturally, therefore, I'm going to go for the bike that's won the last six world superbike championships at the hands or at the wheels, at the, the knees even, of Johnny Ray. And it's the Kawasaki ZX-10 world superbike. Again, speaks for itself, keeps beating everything else. It must be the best. Let's move on to non-driver of the year. Uh, uh, this is for anyone who is not a racing driver. Uh, let's start with John this time. Uh, I have no idea what I put down for this one. Give me a clue. You wrote Ron Dennis. Oh, yes. No, of course I did. I wrote Ron Dennis. And I wrote Ron Dennis. Thank you, Tim. Sorry. Uh, I, I wrote Ron Dennis uh, because uh, of what he's done for the sport, what he's done for Lewis Hamilton and what he's done for McLaren. But also, he put a million quid of his own money into f in, um, meals for NSA NHS key workers during the height of the pandemic. And he started a brilliant organisation which is based over at Bista that still continues. Uh, he deserves a knighthood for that, if nothing else. But he is my non-driving personality of the year. Uh, Shay, who's yours? My non-driver is formerly a driver, but first time ever he won the Michelin Endurance Cup and both of his boys won championships. It's Wayne Taylor. Uh, Nick Very Damon? Uh, it's not a person. Ooh. I want to put forward a group of people and a group of people who've been working since about 1972 um, for the betterance of every single uh, four-wheel motorsport and I'm going to creep under the title of the FIA uh, Safety Commission but I include in that uh, Sir Jackie Stewart, Max Mosley, Jean Top, um, Charlie Whiting, Sid Watkins um, and all the people who've helped make motorsport as safe as it is both this side of the pond and all around the world. Um, we had a start um, illustration that just this week but I think that we, we now just so take for granted how safe cars are, but that's taken a, a incremental work over 50 years to make tracks safer, to make people realize their responsibilities, uh, to make health and make um, uh, hospital centers areas better to make, and, and that's, you know, I think, I really think that, that, that needs recognition and they are not drivers, but they are helping every single driver out there. And finally, Johnny Palmer. Uh, always been a big help for me regarding world endurance championship information particularly at the 24 hours of le mans it was very tricky indeed to cover that race this year with all that surrounds coronavirus but the um the person that's always been at the center of making sure the information is there is the head of communications for the world endurance championship sadly in her final year in 2020 and because of that got to wave the green flag at the eight hours of bahrain along with gerard Navarre. Uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago. So Fiona Miller, uh, not least, not not only because she's departing, but also a massive help, particularly this year around the 24 hours of Le Mans, but getting uh, all the stats and all the driver information to us well in advance. So thank you, Fee, for all your years of service and you get my non-driver of the year vote. Uh, let's move on to race of the year. Start with Nick Damon. Uh, I'm going to go for, a, people complain that, Formula One is tedious and boring and you know the result before it starts. Well, I'm going to go for a race meeting which at no point you know what's going to happen even on the next corner. And that's from the moment they hit the ground on Friday to the, the last lap of the entire race, literally the last lap of the entire race. And that's the Turkish Grand Prix. Um, 
you know, they put together at the last minute with a late bit of uh, resurfacing. It's um, oh, know, but and, Lewis won, which everybody yeah. would have said beforehand. And that is also something that proved. Don't forget, Lewis only wins because of the car. And at this point, he proved it wasn't just because of the car. So we had an unexpected result for the gammons out there who like to moan about him. So I personally think it was a, it gave you everything you wanted in the motor race. Unexpected uh, circumstances with the cream rising to the top. It's a shame it was in a nasty dictatorship. And uh, well, <laughs> Johnny. Not often that I go for a Grand Prix, but I have this time. I'm particularly a fan of F1 going to all of these lesser-known European tracks this season, and I made sure I tuned into the Mugello Grand Prix. That came a close second to the race that happened just seven days before at Monza, the Italian Grand Prix. Now, I recognise what Nick Damon always says about the, you know appreciating drivers that are in a rich vein of form and we must always applaud those that go for these long strings of victories i just like unusual results in f1 and to have a, a top four that was pierre gasly for alpha tauri carlos Sainz for mclaren lance stroll for racing point and lando norris for mclaren was just so refreshing for me and as soon as i <clears throat> knew something weird was happening with that race i made sure i tuned in for the second half of it and just thoroughly enjoyed it and thought my love for F1 is there deep down somewhere. I just need a few more races like this. Uh, Shay Adam. 2,965 miles completed this year at the Rolex 24 hours of Daytona. It was a knockout drag out fight. We had two cars on the lead lap at the end in GTD. It was one of those races that you tend to remember for a long time. And it set up what was a great year in terms of IMSA competition. So that, to me, is the race that not only stands out for this year, but that stands out in terms of all the racing for 2020. And finally, John Hindhoff. Uh, yes, Daytona, but not the 24. The short race, when we came back at the beginning of July, nobody knew whether it would work. Nobody knew whether we could get it going. It was a tight, tight decision between this and the Charlotte Roval in the rain, believe it or not, for me this year. But this one shades it for a couple of reasons. There was a great battle at the sharp end of the field, with Ma which Mazda won in GTD, it went down to the wire as well with Lexus taking the victory. But it was the fact that on Independence Day, July the 4th, eventually the 100th North American victory was chalked up for Corvette in a brilliant tactical run from that team. All in all, that just restarted the season for sports car racing for IMSA and it was just a great result that that has to be my race of the year difficult choice but that's it so now we need to come on to the big category the uh, man or woman of the year and we're going to start year, hero with hero Oof. and we're going to start with Shay Oh, man, there are two people that I keep going back and forth between. Um, and to be honest, I'm going to go with my gut and go with the initial instinct. It's hard to think of a major race that this hero has not won because this year he added to that resume by winning the 24 hours of spa on a car that shouldn't have made it that last lap and a half. He's now won the 12 hours of Sebring three times and Petit Le Mans four times. The hero of 2020 is Mr. Nick Tandy. Ooh, good call. John. 
Well, I am going for one of the true greats of British motorsport. He has world championships to spare and won another one this year. He's the most successful in his sport in the history. He has the highest number of race wins uh, in the championship history uh, and surely should be a motorsport knight as well. He's done it whilst being a relatively quiet and unassuming guy and just getting on with the job. It is, of course, the legend that is Jonathan Rear, Northern Irish Superbike multiple world champion. What is it? Six world championships now that he has won. Jonathan Rear. And Johnny Palmer. Uh, yeah, this, um, again, was down to a dominant display for, uh, I think, a team that has been voted for by somebody else. Thank you, John Hindoff. But nevertheless, uh, one of the key men at United Autosports has been for a long time, Philippe Albuquerque, and he is now a European Le Mans Series champion. He's a WEC champion and he's a Le Mans winner as well. He's also a thoroughly nice guy to boot and he's always uh, willing to give you a bit of time in a race weekend, whether that be an official capacity for an interview or just for a chat and a catch-up. So, Philippe Albuquerque, top man, also very busy with his IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship commitments as well, but uh, now three massive trophies in the cabinet. Uh, Nick Damon. Well, this isn't going to surprise anybody. Uh, but the Max Mosley? Exactly. There's only one person who can be the person, the man, hero of the year, and that is the man who um, broke the record for pole positions in F1. He broke the record for podiums in F1. He broke the record for wins in F1. He equaled the record for world championships in F1. He continued his dominance. He was supremely and obviously the best driver within what is what anyone says in this show, still the premier category of motor racing in the world. And beyond that, he also was raising awareness of social issues, which despite the negativity that attracted to a number of things he did, and let's be honest about this, he's actually topped this off this week because he's managed to absolutely capture the zeitgeist of 2020 by catching COVID. He has to be your man of the year. Uh, so those are the... And who was that that you didn't mention his name? He's that important. I, do I need to see who it is? Valtteri Bottas. Mm, Doesn't have quite. any of those records. <laughs> so those are the nominees... And uh, next week on the show, we'll open the voting for you, the listener. But there is a 10th category, and that is the Listener's Choice Award. So between yes. now and next week, we want you to tweet at Specutainment uh, with your suggestions for nominees for the Listener's Choice Award. And you can pick anyone from the world of motor racing for any reason whatsoever. And okay. uh, the ones that get... Uh, nominated by you the most uh will go into the final vote so at specutainment uh have we got we a hashtag for that listener hashtag listeners choice it's exactly what i was about to say if you'd let okay. me finish my sentence all right i didn't know <laughs> and uh that uh that voting will open during next, in fact, immediately after next week's Midweek Motorsport and uh, two weeks' time, we'll have the uh, results on our special uh, show of the year show. Uh, we can now say good night, uh, goodbye to Johnny Palmer and Shay Adam. Thank you, Shay. 
Bye. Bye. You're not going to thank Johnny? Thank you, Johnny. He's gone already. All right. You got, got the hoof? Yeah. <laughs> well, you stole two of his nominees. I got mine in first. Uh, we've been promising it all night. It's uh, Nick Damon's team by team. Uh, repeat the hashtag is uh, hashtag listeners choice and at Specutainment if you want to get your uh, votes of those. We've been promising it all night. It's Nick Damon's team by team review of the Bahrain Grand Prix. And uh, we're going to jingle s- for this, you know. We ought to get a jingle. Maybe next season. Right. OK. Uh, I sing the jingle. No. In a Dennis Waterman sort of way. That's a good idea. Chris and Jingles man will do that. Mm. Nicole Kidman sings it in that thing she's in with Hugh at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she got it. Don't forget she had number one record. She did. That's something stupid with Robbie Williams. Yep. Well done. Good one. Do the ones count if they're I was channel happening yesterday. It came across Christmas thing. (sighs) Do do number ones count if they're duets? Of course you do. They can't if you're in a group. Elton John... Doesn't Admitted count. Um, don't go breaking my heart as being his first number one because it was a duet with Kiki D. I think if it's your only number one, you'd count it, wouldn't you? Yes. Hang count. on, I've, I, I, I haven't won a motor race. No, 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 John, you did. You won Le Mans. Yeah, but that was with two of the drivers. I don't count that. Yes, of course, I'm going to count it. Put it this way, if I if I lived in the northeast and I was born in the seventies and I was female and I was nine and I was one of the thirty seven or fifty five members of the Winifred School Choir, I'd still said I had a number one. Yeah. Mm. Fair enough. Obviously I was none of those things. We've had our first listener's choice uh nomination. Excellent. Well if it uh Scott Dixon, good if it, call. If it's repeated by lots of other people, we shall see. Uh, right. whether it gets onto the final vote. Nick Damon's team by team guide to the Bahrain Grand Prix. We'll get there eventually. Yes. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Haas, because if we follow yes. our usual convention, that is where we would start. Can't change it. Well, yes, and, and obviously the, the major issue or the major event of the entire Grand Prix happened three corners in. Uh, when Roman Grosjean, let's be really honest, made a very unwise move across the circuit, was completely faultlessly uh, picked up by Daniel Kvyat and speared into the barriers. Um, and, you know, we, we, you can say a lot of things, but it's spectacular. Both, both John and I went said things we couldn't possibly say on the radio when we saw it happening. It was, it was incredibly worrying. But at the end of, of the effect, you just realise the incredible advances that have been made in safety. And, and most importantly, the, the, the thing that was very controversial just two or three years ago was the halo. And in this particular set of... Um, circumstances it's pretty obvious that the halo saved his life and, uh, because it parted the ways of the barrier and i think to remember is the barrier is supposed to deform the uh, the solid the, the reason barriers deform is not because they're faulty it's because they're designed to do that to absorb the impact that's why things fall off the cars to absorb the impact um so i think that's really um you know what I would say it was, it was a key point of the whole the whole event. Yeah, it, it was a fan, it was great to see him hop out. There were a number of individual heroes, from the marshals to the obviously the Alamander Mayor and the, and the Doctor, and and but it was really oddly that accident which took what you know half a second to happen. The fact that Roman walked away was, as I alluded to earlier, was the culmination of fifty years work improving yeah, safety or sixty years work improving safety, and and you know. 
we're sitting there. We were shocked at the time. And then we saw a driver who's, who's yes, he's, he's got minor injuries, but they are minor injuries. And theoretically, probably he could come back in a week's time. Uh, and that is not a miracle. That is science. And that, I, I in, that say, includes uh, one safety aspect, which was changed for this very season, Nick. Yes, it was. Do you know what that was, Nick? I don't. Sorry, Nick. I do. It was the driver's suits. It was. They were improved this year oh, to right, give yeah. 20 seconds of... Uh, protection rather than 10 yeah um which which boots and gloves still only have yes yeah boots and gloves still only have 10 um interestingly although of course roman left a boot uh trapped in the pedal box um which is where his foot was trapped uh when the 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 tub deformed but he managed to get uh, his laces on tied so he Uh, can take his off not sure he did to be honest i no. think that was just pulled up uh, the only thing i want to say about this because nick has done that very eloquently i want to take issue with a number of people who should know better who've been around the sport albeit for a long time i'm not going to name anybody but y- you've all seen people who've been criticizing some of the marshals at bahrain uh the marshal that ran across the track with the first fire extinguisher that got to roman that was in fact the reason why um, help could get to him. The marshals who originally ran away from the car that was coming towards them and burst into flames and then went back and started to use the extinguishers uh, and try and break the fire down. Um, I'm not going to hear any of that and those people ought to be ashamed of themselves. Lots of people harking back to Tom Price's horrendous accident at Kyle Army in the 1970s. It's not 1970 anymore, guys. It really isn't. The two young boys who ran across the track there had signed on to be trap marshals that very morning. They were in T-shirts and jeans that had no formal training, that didn't know anything about it. It's not the 1970s anymore. And you disrespect every single marshal who are now highly chained, but still volunteers and still giving up their time. And let's not forget, last weekend was the FIA's Volunteers Weekend. And any Formula One journalist, any motorsport journalist who is critical of what went on from those brilliant volunteers really isn't worth their press pass. I agree that there was a difference and, and particularly when they can't see a difference between somebody running across a track when the medical car, the last car on the track, is pulling up to a stop when the whole field's gone through on, on, on lap one, and then somebody running across a live track, red flag was, was about to come out, uh, by the way, on lap one, and did come out, and then somebody running across the live track on the pits, on the support strip pit straight to get to Checo's car after what we'd just seen. They made a value judgment and they looked down a dead straight piece of road, not over the brow like Kyle Army. It's not the 1970s. Get over yourselves, guys, and stop complaining about everything. Lives were saved because everybody did their jobs this weekend and you cannot be harking back to the 1970s. Give the marshals, the well-trained, well-organised marshals and volunteers, give them their due desserts on this please because otherwise really what are you doing in an f1 what are you doing in an f1 paddock and an f1 press room that's all i'm going to say about that 
I'm going to add two things onto that, which is that uh, two of those marshals were honoured by the uh, Bahraini Crown, Crown Prince uh, on Monday. Rightly so, too. And, uh, Rightly so. They haven't been named uh, because uh, it's customary um, in that part of the world that there is a degree of modesty. Um, but they did get to meet the Crown Prince and uh, were honoured. And secondly, is it time that marshals be given better protective clothing it's a tough one Tim um, the chap who ran across the road was in what looked to be uh, fire full fire suppression kit um, it, it's time that the medical drivers are wearing full face helmets absolutely it is when you saw what uh, Dr Ian had to, to walk into with albeit a balaclava but with an open face helmet um, and I know it's uncomfortable sitting doing nothing in a full face helmet but uh, really um, that's a tough call people have been calling as well guys for a full time safety crew you can't have a full time safety crew to chase around Formula 1 unless Formula 1 are going to pay for it and they're not you know it's an absolute disgrace really that a billion and billion and billion dollar sport business, business like Formula One, relies on those volunteers anyway to get their sport running. Um, but if you had to marshal every post and pay every volunteer to travel around the world and then make them employees for even 25 Grand Prix next year, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And And... And besides which, a lot of the people who wear the experiences, they wouldn't necessarily be able to do that full time because yeah, they have other things to do. Not doing it. <sighs> well, do you want the experience or not? You know, that's it. None of those people get those jobs at Formula One. I, I'm astounded at, at at the lack of understanding of people in Formula One press rooms who hold Formula One hard cards, that how much marshals have to go through. What, do you think they just drag these people off the streets? Or somebody who's been flagging at a club meeting gets to go there? There's selection processes. There's areas that people have got to go through. They've got to take their certificates. They've got to be recertified on a very, very regular basis. You know, you can start at a club meeting and you can start going through. That's where everybody starts, yes. But if you're at a Formula One Grand Prix anywhere in the world, and by the way, Bahrain supply um, marshals for other places around the world. They've had a massive take-up in that part of the world because people want to be involved in the sport. And they, in that part of the world, not everybody can afford to go motor racing, so they get involved in other ways. And it's brilliant that they have gone to... Other Grand Prix like Malaysia and Australia and other places and help marshal there. It's not done by accident, man. And, and, and I just found it tremendously disrespectful. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox now. But I feel, I feel really, really... I got really, really annoyed when I read some of the stuff that was being written and tweeted uh, at the weekend. Meantime, on team by team. Yes, because there's well, a second pass, Carl, and that's <laughs> Kevin Magnuson. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it was a second house car, but unfortunately, what the other house car uh, would have done if it hadn't hit the, the wall so early, that's finished at the back and, and slowly drifting backwards. 
Um, yeah, so Kevin had a, it must be very difficult to get back in the car again. He must have very mixed feelings. Um, and really, he just, just drifted slowly to the back, to be honest. And it was a pretty much a, the car hasn't been developed since the first week of the uh, the season. And it's just getting less and less competitive as we go. Uh, so let's move on to Racing Point. Yes, Racing Point's less, obviously, in this race. Um mm. Lance Stroll um, qualified really, really badly after his poll uh, a couple of weeks ago in Turkey and lost to work out why it was, considering he had a really particularly good, uh, the previous session, he'd been, I think, up and uh, qualified up in second or third and then just went to nothing, qualified 13th uh, at the restart, um, went out wide through turn eight and uh, up the inside, seeing a gap was almost there or potentially there was uh, Danny Kivert. It wasn't quite there and uh, rear wheel to front wheel, and it tipped over Lance Stroll. What looked like a very spectacular accident, but actually was, was not. It wasn't any great speed, and the car just landed on the, the, the roll bar and the halo, and, and just Lance was upside down and out of the race. So, uh, And I thought that when Danny got a 10-second penalty, that was very harsh. Because to me, that was... Harsh as well. the, I thought that was definition of a racing incident, to be honest. And, and I thought that was, that was another point. I think they don't seem to understand where... Um, I thought it was quite similar, actually, to the penalty that Lewis got in Brazil last year were actually that the, the leading driver Similar has made an error in uh, Austria. Uh, not quite so much because that one was, 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 was perhaps a little bit more, you could see um, Lewis just drifting wide. Whereas this point was the, the driver trying to overtake was taking a, a good line on a gap that had been left by a mistake by the driver who then sweeps back onto their line again and is surprised to find a car there. Um, and I think Danny was very unlucky. Um, he, he had a bad, he, was, he had an unlucky race on a number of levels, and I, and I didn't, that was that shouldn't have been a, a penalty at all, let alone ten seconds, which is like a, a big, yes. not not just a, all we penalty. think about is a slap on the wrist. Yeah, uh, but not as huge as the penalty Sergio Perez got um, when not not his own fault, when his Mercedes uh, expired with four laps to go. Mm. Um, when he was set for his uh, another podium, his first time ever he got two podiums in a row. He drove absolutely beautifully all weekend as he attempts to win a contract with uh, with Red Bull, the only available racing seat. And Red Bull keep trying to say that Alex Albon is better, and we'll come on to that later. But you have to feel sorry for Checo, not just really, really, really unlucky. Alfa Romeo. Well, you know, again, I don't remember that, seeing that, these cars. I remember seeing them at the start, the first start, when they were wandering all off the track and then came back on the track again. And uh, I remember that I think one of them over took the other one as part of a... Ta- you know what? Yeah, they were literally as anonymous as two cars can be. And, of course, they haven't even got a new race, a new driver line to invigorate themselves for next year. So let's hope that whatever upgrades Ferrari bring to the engine uh, will be enough to move them forward because there's nothing they're doing themselves to move themselves forward at the moment. And you mentioned Ferrari because they're next. No, it's, no, no they're not. It's Williams next. Sorry, yes, I've skipped Williams. Well, it's not, you know, in fairness. Uh, Nicholas Latifi was terrible in qualifying. Absolutely dreadful. And hard to explain really it's not like he hasn't been to Bahrain before it's been on the F2 circuit for a number of years uh, but just wasn't at home I think he was out qualified by a huge amount by George Russell who got himself himself into uh, Q2 again and obviously we're hoping to get to Q3 for the first time uh, this weekend so Latifi not very good Russell did what he normally does which is qualify really well on Saturday and then just go I suppose as fast as you can go to Williams which isn't very fast Um you know, and because of the final safety car, they were only separated by a couple of seconds. But, you know, Russell was significantly better than Latifi, but we already knew this. Will Jack Aitken be significantly better than Nicholas Latifi this weekend? 
who knows? But uh, yeah, this race said a lot more about Latifi than about Russell, and what it said about Latifi wasn't very good. Now, can we do Ferrari? Yes. Ferrari, um, Sebastian Vettel accused um, uh, Charles Leclerc of ruining his race, mainly because he came up the inside of him on the restart and upset him. Um, at the end of the day, though, that ruined race when he was in 13th and Charles Leclerc was in 10. Uh, I think Sebastian, who had a spin in the second and in the restart, which no one really saw, um, I only saw it the following day on a uh, attached to a tweet actually. Yeah, kind of on his own, just one of uh, Sebastian spin on his own, lost a couple of places early on, which you know, without which where the frozen we had the power to blast past things. So I think he was again after a great race in in Turkey, back to being his less than impressive 2020 self. Charles Leclerc, very aggressive, didn't really get anywhere, and the lack of power, therefore the lack of ability to go things down the straight line on the main straight, re-scuppered him. So Ferrari, not a great track for them. It's only going to get worse (laughs) this weekend when power's even more important. Both of them lapped as well. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it was just just not a great race. Uh, you know, the car is, you know, all you have is positive statements from uh, Mattia Bonotto, then it couldn't be able to be there again, saying they've got the, the engine, the new engine that was really good in the test bed. Obviously, let's hope the test bed's actually uh, complying with the regulations this time. Alpha Tauri comes next. Yeah, Danny Kvyat, who got involved in all the other instances, weren't really his fault. People keep hitting his front wheels and he, you know, and uh, either spearing off or turning over and he got the blame for it. Um, so, you know, in a very close midfield, if you have a 10 second uh, hold at your first pit stop, that's really going to you know, end your chances straight off. So he was just condemned to, in the end, to the back end of the midfield, ended up 11th, probably ruining the whole day and being a bit upset. Pierre Gasly um, wasn't going particularly well either. He, wasn't going, he was just kind of going averagely. And then they, told it, they just railed the dice in the end. They decided not to stop him for tyres a second time. And it looked like it was going to massively backfire as he was losing hand over fist to everybody else who was catching him up, which was... Um, uh, Ricardo, Bottas, and even Ocon probably would have got him. But then four laps from the end, or three laps from the end, we got a safety car. Fear was neutralised, and he managed to hold the six. So it ended up being a masterstroke. So yeah, eight points. Well done, Pierre. Um, and sometimes you, you know, it gets the point really when you're in, in that packed area. If you, if you, you know, if you always do the same thing, you get the same results. So sometimes you've got to try something different. If it comes off, you're a hero. If it doesn't come off, you're no worse off. So well done, Alpha Tauri. Try something different. Uh, Renault. Renault um, got a bit confused um, most of the middle part of this race because they, they didn't understand it was the Bahraini Grand Prix where they were racing 18 other cars. They appeared to think it was the Renault Grand Prix when they were just racing each other. Um, and they f- singularly failed, I think not for the first time, to manipulate their cars correctly for their strategies. So they end up hurling each other up or, or, or wasting time being behind the other one when what they should do is just let people, and then they still end up letting them go anyway. So just the decisions were too late. So worrying torpor in their decision-making process, which I'm sure Fernando Alonso won't be putting up with next year. Uh, Mr. Ocon, we're getting, being told very quickly that Fernando is considerably faster than you um, uh, and getting out of the way. And the net effect was they got two points scoring results, which were obviously much better overall after the demise of Sergio Perez, but they lost a lot of points to McLaren and their chance of hitting third overall are pretty much gone. Uh, Mercedes next. Yes, Valtteri Bottas, um, you know, if he, if he didn't have bad luck, he wouldn't have any luck. Yeah, possibly, but the reason he sometimes bad luck is partially your own making. I mean, he, he was unlucky to get a puncture on lap one, but he also made a terrible start, which put him back in the middle of the pack rather than just following Lewis clearly into the first corner. Um, he then actually got a second puncture later on the race, he also seemed disinterested in, in parts of it. And 
I, it'd be re- he's one of the most interesting people to see what, what happens this weekend. He's now team leader. His, his nemesis is not there. He must feel that he can beat Max Verstappen in a straight fight. You know, Valtteri really, really needs to win this race uh, this weekend um, and just put the, the, what was basically a very disappointing race behind him. You mean it's a very good point you make about But it's a very good point you make about him being team leader. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I mean it's 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 much it's as much a test for Valtteri as it is for um, George, mm-hmm. who's good. used to being team uh, Lewis, of course. He is. Well, he's, yes, and he, <laughs> good point. Um, uh, Lewis Hamilton. Um, I think that from six seven laps in on Friday practice, it's pretty obvious Lewis is going to win the race. He just looked completely at ease with the whole thing. Um, rather than the past where he's won the championship and he's just eased off, uh, he's won the championship and the pressure's off. And he just, I never thought there was a point where he wasn't going to win. And, you know, there wasn't a point where he wasn't going to win. He may have winged a bit at the end as he always does. Oh, it's terribly hard and difficult, everything else. But he had he had Max completely covered, always five seconds or four seconds ahead. Um, when he was eight seconds ahead, he actually even eased off his tyres to make it four seconds because that's all he needs in this modern Pirelli tyre era. Uh, and masterful, absolutely masterful performance, winning at the slowest possible speed. So Jackie would be proud of him. McLaren. Yeah, a great result for McLaren, especially he looked pretty awful after qualifying when Carlos Sainz had his had um, an uh, ERS failure, which locked his rear rear wheels up on the uh, as he started his, his Q2, which put him back in 15th or 16th. Um, got through the carnage of the first couple of starts well, uh, and then he and Lando drove good clean races. Lando finished, came fourth, Carlos fifth. Again, a massive point hole. Hall, Hall massively again helped by the fact that um, Sergio dropped out. And the car, it's, it's, it's a good car. It also seems to be a nice nice car with a bit of straight line speed, which is what you obviously need uh, in Bahrain. So I think they'll be particularly um, uh, confident going into the even faster version of the circuit this weekend. So yeah, a great weekend for McLaren without really looking to do anything spectacular. Red Bull. Um. Max Verstappen, after proving that he couldn't handle pressure uh, in Turkey, Max Verstappen once again proved he can handle not having pressure. Uh, so much so, he even said that we had nothing to lose, let's send it early on. And he did exactly what you expect, a very talented driver in a reasonably good car. Uh, he put the thing where it needed to go and he made it quite fast. And he didn't he didn't get pole, he didn't get second. So he didn't get second, which I think he may be disappointed with. Never challenged Lewis at any of the restarts. Um, tried to put under pressure a little bit, but... Lewis had it in control the whole time, but that's not necessary. That's just a combination of talent and uh, and the car against talent and not having any car. Uh, I can't criticise Max because he did what you expect him to do in a race. He's got no pressure, which is the maximum. He got the maximum out of the car. So, you know, great performance. Still worried by what happened in Turkey as far as his overall performance is concerned, though. Alex Elbon on the podium. Hurrah, it's all sorted out. Alex on the podium. Yeah, we can retain him. Yeah, but he's only on the podium um, because, um, you know, Perez uh, broke down. And, you know, and Perez is his obvious rival for that, that, that position. And, and I don't understand how anyone can say, um, you know, you would, you would choose Albert over Perez. And it's interesting because the fact was that Max Verstappen did some, some various, Max Verstappen was following Lewis Hamilton and, and all they could try and do was, was use, you know, various ruses and concepts and undercuts, but they hadn't got a second driver in there to act as a rear gunner or do something special to try and spook Mercedes. And this was a particular race where Mercedes had lost their number two car due to Bottas's puncture. If Max Stappen had a Danny Rick still with him, 
they could have had one of them could have massively undercutted Lewis Hamilton and perhaps forced Lewis to go too early his tyres, especially in a high degradation race. This was the absolute race where they needed a second driver close enough to make a difference. And Albon still, despite managing to come third, was half a minute behind before the safety car and he's not close enough to make a difference. He is driving a very good car round the track and therefore at the end of the day sometimes in this particular race you end up third he needs to he needs to improve he, he, he just isn't doing it and i'm afraid it's that lack of you know intelligent decision making at red bull again which is going to cause some problems if, if they if they haven't for another year unless there's some sort of something happening in the background i don't know like you, you're going to absolutely compromise your chance not just of the world championship but also of, of max Verstappen winning because sometimes you need a teammate to play tactics if it's a very tight season the, so, you know, the uh, team by team review of the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix from Nick Damon there, and he'll be back next week on the show with his team by team review of the Sakir Grand Prix. The funniest thing that happened at the Bahrain Grand Prix was in the practice session for Formula Two. Uh, Artem Markloff spun at the final corner, nothing unusual there. Yeah. Stored the car, nothing unusual there. They red flagged the session because of it. Nothing unusual there. It's a practice session. He gets yep. out of the car and walks off behind the barrier. Uh, Marshall, Still nothing unusual there. Marshall goes to recover the car, puts it into neutral. The car then rolls backwards across the track, <laughs> across <laughs> the sand on the other side of the track, well, hits the barrier so good, and bounces off of it. Yeah. Yep, off it. Yep, without very much damage, in fairness, because there was no, some, no damage, um, but also no driver in the car when it crashes into the tyres. Well, oh, it's driverless cars, you think? Mm-hmm. Mm, not sure I'm a fan of it. <laughs> Somebody said that was the fastest the car had gone all all weekend and more vaguely in the right direction than if Mark Luff had been behind the wheel, which I thought was a bit unfair. If it left a bit of steering lock on, it would have uh, reversed <laughs> straight into his <laughs> pit box. Pit lane, yes. Yes. Uh, and that's all we've got time for tonight. A bit of extra time, as you might have guessed. Thank you to all of our guests uh, this evening. Back, hopefully, to a more normal show next week. Although... I am We're on doing location a special show next, next week because you're going to be joining us live from Silverstone. I am going to be on the track at Silverstone. This will be fun. Lapping. Mm. In lap mm. land. I will be, yeah, in lap land. Exactly Tom- so. Tomorrow night at 8 on RS1. It's a tour of radio show. And this week it is Jordan, Ben and Matt. Uh, they'll be talking about the latest circuits that have come to iRacing, including Long Beach. Have you done that one yet, Nick? Uh, no, because Long Beach, Long Beach doesn't get launched until next Wednesday. Ah, uh, they're going to be talking about so they've it got anyway. A, they must have a pre-release then. Uh, they may have a pre-release. Race rooms announcement of the new GT2 class, and uh, what comes first in 2021: Forza Horizon or Forza Motorsport? That's to a radio show from eight tomorrow here on RS1, and after that, it's the uh, on the grid. Uh, with uh, Tony Shebecki and Richard Crail. You're correct. And the rest of the team. They haven't told us Very what good. else I get to talk about yet, so we'll wait no. and see. Tune in. Uh, uh, by out. the way, we're going to have an extra uh, FIA uh, champion, world champion next weekend if Elvin Evan does win because Scott Martin's a Brit as well. Yes. Nine titles that could be decided in the world, Ruddy, 
a championship finale at Monza. Wow. I'm actually quite looking forward to that this coming weekend of sport. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Little delayed and hopefully not too grumpy. Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones will look at the Le Mans Cup, the Michelin Le Mans Cup from 2020. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you then. But for now, there's no time to explain because the lot oh the llama's stolen my soapbox. <laughs> this program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.